Skunk group, hands up! About time to. Call yourself Royal Marines? You're a disgrace. Those boots are filthy. What would happen if the Germans attack now? Sorry, sir. In fact, how do you know we're not Germans? Well, answer me. We don't look like Germans, man. I don't suppose you know what Dr. Judson's office is. Never mind. This way. Yes, sir. Hello and welcome to Who Watches Who, a Doctor Who podcast with me, Matthew, and as always... Hello, it's Scott. Hello, it's Scott. Uh, <laughs> this week we are covering part one and two of the Curse of Fenric. I want to say the Fenric, but it's not, it's just Curse of Fenric, isn't it? Yes, and I make that mistake all the time as well. It's It feels like it should be the Fenric, but, yeah. you know, yeah, whatever. Well, it's just a, just a dude called Fenric. Uh, so it is part one and two of Curse of Fenric. Part three and four is next week. If you're watching on video, you can see Scott has not got over his uh, fake <laughs> disease yet. Um, and this episode first aired on October twenty fifth, nineteen eighty nine. Which, strangely enough for me, uh, not so strange for Scott who knew this already. It was a Wednesday. This is the first Doctor Who episode we've covered that's aired on a Wednesday. No, that is actually yeah. incorrect. Uh, mm-hmm. When 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 we did Resurrection of the Daleks, we both of those episodes were on a Wednesday. Well, were all they? four episodes, but they were scrunched together. So part one, part two, we are together on a were Wednesday. They on a, I don't remember them being on a Wednesday. Yes, yes, they were on a Wednesday, my friend. Ah, it is a Wednesday. Weird. Weird. I don't remember that at all. But this one was on a Wednesday. What a weird time for Doctor Who that is. I probably said that yep. on that episode as well. Don't remember <laughs> yes, that did. episode at all. <laughs> Bad episode. <laughs> uh, the number one songs in the US and the UK, big surprise, surprise, are not songs I know off the top of my head. See if you know them. I won't make you guess the songs, they're very niche. Uh, Miss You Much by Janet Jackson, or Black Box by Ride on Time, or Ride on Time by Black Box for the UK. They're both songs. Okay. They're both... I know who I know who Janet Jackson is. I don't recognize that song off the top of my head. Miss you much. I guess it's a breakup song. <laughs> it's um, yeah. So Janet Jackson, obviously, sister to uh, some dude called Michael Jackson, and if, never heard of him. He it, he doesn't exist. If you're listening to this song, "Miss You Much," you you would be quite easily mistaken into thinking it was a Michael Jackson song. It sounds yeah. very similar to the style of music he was creating at this time. Definitely on purpose because yeah. cashing maybe, in on that name, you know. Maybe even ghost written by him. Who knows? Yeah. I don't know enough about Janet Jackson or the no. Jacksons. No, the only Jackson I really know is uh, Michael. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Probably, yeah, probably and... the more famous one out of those, uh, you know. It's, yeah, it, it was, very... yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a tight race, so... but <laughs> yeah, I think he squeaks the the more famous, uh, famouser sibling. And more, nowadays, more infamous, depending on who you ask. 
You know, some people, yeah. some people don't believe it. Macaulay Culkin said everything with him was groovy. You know, those two guys from Channel Four said things were less than groovy. Um, yeah, yeah, we'll, yeah. Uh, yeah uh, we'll never yeah. truly know. <laughs> but he made he, some pretty decent music. He did <laughs> certainly. <laughs> Yeah, that's that. You can say that we know that definitively, at least. Uh, <laughs> and he was a big weirdo, right? In the box office, Scott, can you guess what the number one? This is U.S. only. The number one film in the United States is 1989, 25th of October. We're right around spooky season. Yeah, the only movies I can think of off the top of my head are like Batman. Ghostbusters 2, Back to the Future Part 2. You're missing, you're missing a really obvious <sighs> classic film from 1980. Like, it is like an all-time great movie. One that you would watch multiple times a year. Ground? No. It's not Groundhog Day? No. What, no. what is it? It is Look Who's Talking. Oh, boy, yes. <laughs> the, the John Travolta <laughs> Talking Baby movie. Uh, it, it's, that's th- that's th- a movie that opens out in like sperm. We watch sperm. Yes, yes. This was yes. Um, number one <laughs> for three weeks at the box office. It, Good it, Lord. it made a lot of money and made a lot of sequels. I've not yep. seen this film since I was a kid and had it on I've, possibly I've, VHS, definitely DVD. Um, yeah, I've never seen this film. I just know the sequels are uh, Look Who's Talking Now or and Look, Look Who's, who's Talking, talking Two is yeah, probably the second one. Look Who's Talking Two first, yes. Yeah, <laughs> <It> makes sense. <laughs> and then Look Who's Talking Now, the third one, and the you know masterclass trilogy, honestly, in filmmaking. Look, look- Look who's talking now is about the dog talking or something, right? Or is that uh, is it, or is it another baby? I don't know. Why not both? That, why not? Why like not? Why not talk- just have everybody talking? I f- I think everybody's <laughs> talking. Although, if I'm remembering correctly, I think this film didn't do a CGI baby mouth, and they just oh. had like voiceover from like jo- mm-hmm. uh, John Travolta or whatever as the baby. So the baby's just looking around like, uh, you That's know, good. while John Travolta's there like being like, "Hey, I'm a baby." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But there is nothing worse than creepy CGI baby talk. Do you remember Baby Genius, those two movies? No. That, that are about uh, baby spies and are like super geniuses and they're walking around and feels, Christopher feels, Lloyd is... That feels like a movie that's going to put you on a list if you watch it. Uh, Christopher Lloyd is trying to kidnap them or something and there's a point where one of the babies does a dance and it's really bad because it's all CGI. It's it's fantastic. Best movie ever. 10 out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, and that's honestly all the news that happened on this day it is a very empty day in history but if we turn our eye back to the history of the planet we'll find it's also a pretty empty day with 1415 the battle of agincourt or possibly agincourt 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 uh, henry v's forces defeat a larger french army and the longbow defeats the armored knight so that's cool. Uh, knights battling each other. Henry V. Yeah. In 1854, the infamous charge of the Light Brigade during the Battle of uh, Balaclava in the Crimean War results in over 100 killed. I recognize the, the title, Charge of the Light Brigade. I think it's a film now. Uh, okay. 
or, or I say now, it was like a film from like the 60s that my brothers watched. Uh, in 1962, the U.S. ambassador to the U.N., Adlai Stevenson, demanded that the USSR United Nations representative Zornin answer regarding the Cuban missile bases, saying that I am prepared to wait for my answer until hell freezes over. So this is peak Cold War, and they're like, you're yeah. keeping nukes in Cuba, in Cuba, aren't you? And Russia's like, haha, no comment. Uh, and, you know, everyone's a bit stressed out. Very appropriate for this episode, I would say. Yeah, with Russia being bad. And then if we, you know, uh, if we flash forward to 1971, we're back at the UN. uh, And this is playing into something that's going to affect modern politics. Definitely in the next few years, I would suspect. The United Nations votes to expel uh, the Chinese nationalist ruled Taiwan and admit the Communist People's Republic of China into the United Nations instead. So Taiwan was in the UN. China wasn't. And then China went, hey, Taiwan's not a country, let us in, ha ha ha. And the UN went, you're right, you make more money than Taiwan. And they kicked Taiwan out and put China in the UN. And China ever since then has been trying to take Taiwan back, whereas Taiwan is definitely an independent country. Our podcast is now blocked in China. Uh, (laughs) Speaking of China, in 2017, the Chinese president, (laughs) Xi Jinping, uh, otherwise known as Winnie the Pooh, unveils his new ruling council in the Great Hall of the People. None of the five people that uh, are unveiled in this great council are young enough to succeed him guaranteeing that he is going to stay in power for even longer i think he's basically made it law at this point that he's in charge until he dies you know very similar to what putin's did uh which is yeah you know china seems like a fun place to be and russia yeah both of them wonderful places they've they've really (laughs) figured out how to have good times and and, and you know, like, the two biggest countries in the world, so I guess we're, we must be right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody's happy, nothing goes wrong. They were like, let's just yeah. chill out and have a good time. No bi- no inflated egos here. No, no uh, you know, power-hungry, warmongering folk, uh, yeah. you know, wanting to have a slightly larger coloured-in map than we did the previous year. None of that nonsense. No, they're just super chill, and they just help people. Great places great places Hell to yeah. be yeah uh, that is all the information i've got scott so let's hear yeah. a bit about curse of fenric i almost said the fenric <laughs> it's, it's a bad title so yeah as we said this episode aired on a wednesday which kind of led to its cancellation because it was right against like one of the biggest soap operas of all time coronation street never heard of it you know at this point coronation street was getting like 20 million viewers on average and doctor who only got like four point five million on its best day which isn't great ratings and it was for a reason because michael grade really hated doctor who and wanted it to go away and you know he, he got his wish it went away for 16 years soon after this episode because this is a penultimate episode of classic doctor who there's only going to be one more story after this which is kind of depressing really because i think season 26 is where it began to get things right season 26 is when the show starts to get good (laughs) yeah because you you know we 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 covered some 80s episodes like uh resurrection of the daleks as we've mentioned before that episode was okay but there's too much going on there's moments yeah yeah. and i would say it's like most of class uh most of the 80s doctor who most of classic it's most of classic (laughs) (laughs) but yeah Season sixty, uh, season twenty six was where it gets it right, and it was sad to see it go downhill. You know when it was cancelled. 
So, uh, Curse of Fenric was the first produced episode, and it was meant to air first, but when they thought, oh yeah, we're going to air this third instead, because it's October, and appropriately, this is about underwater vampires, and it's like, yeah, this is a perfect time to air it. Perfect. Uh, so the writer of this episode is Ian Briggs, who wrote Dragonfire, the episode where he introduced Ace. Any re- relation to Nicholas? Uh, I, no, unfortunately not. I wish, though. That'd be great. That'd be a fun Doctor Who Because I, I feel family. like if uh, Ian Briggs was Nicholas Briggs' uncle or something, he, like, Ian Briggs could have come back for Big Finish or something like that. Yeah, that would be yeah. fantastic. Assuming he's alive. He is still alive. Okay, <laughs> and he and he also looks surprisingly young, mm. which is uh, when I watched the DVD special features, which are filmed in like 2019. He looks surprisingly young. Like everyone from uh, like Andrew Cartmel, the script editor at the time, also looks quite young, which is kind of weird. I expected him to be old man, but you know, I mean, it was um, only 30 years ago. You know, if they wrote it in their 30s, they're just going to be like 60 years old. It feels like a lifetime ago, because I wasn't born. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, uh, John Nathan Turner, who was, of course, the show's producer at the time, and still the longest-serving producer of Doctor Who, he was on the show for like 10 years. Uh, He wasn't fond of Ian, and Andrew Cartmill, the script editor, had to try and convince John that Ian should come back to write another script. Uh, So Ian Briggs wrote an episode of The Bill, Casualty, and then he left TV altogether to just do theatre work, which, fair on him. Yeah. Uh, the director of the story is Nicholas Mallet, produ- and he was a production manager in Blake 7, which also has a Doctor Who link because it was created by Terry Nation. Mm-hmm. He directed three Doctor Who stories, The Mysterious Planet, Paradise Towers, and also, obviously Frenric. He also directed episodes of Crossroads, Children's Wards, and The Bill before dying in 1997 at the age of 51. Oh, which wow. Which is way too young. That's another Doctor Who writer dying really young. Yeah. Yeah. Same with uh, same with John Nathan Turner. He was only in his fifties. He died in like two thousand and three. Yeah, and is... um, Douglas Adams. Yeah. He also died in his fifties, and uh, I think the early two thousands as well. There was a curse. Yeah. There was a curse. Cur- curse. A curse of, of Fenric, Fenric, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> um. So as we said, the director of the entire episode was Nicholas Mallet, but. The w- underwater shots and the atmospheric shots were directed by John Nathan Turner, and I think like we're the best shots of the episode, especially on the Blu-ray where it's all uh, upscaled and it looks really fucking good. Uh, the original titles of this episode were going to be Wolf Time and the Wolves of Fenric, which uh, John Nathan Turner basically turned around and said, these titles don't make sense because the wolf uh, aspect doesn't come into with later episodes. So the episode was then called The Curse of Fenric. Yeah, it's fair enough. I mean, Curse of Fenric's still a pretty lame title. Again, because Fenric doesn't... I, I assume it's a name. It's like a name of some Norse dude or something, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Yeah, but The Fenric it just sounds nice, whereas Fenric sounds like it's missing that plural that you get with the, you know? Yeah, that's basically that's a good jumping off point because Fenric isn't uh, anything to do with Norse mythology, but Fenrir... F E N R R I R is which is just one letter off. Wow. Uh, so Fenrir is a monstrous wolf of Norse mythology. He was the son of the demonic god Loki and giant fress Agarboda. Uh, so Fe- if you don't know anything about Norse mythology, there's a really really good book written by Neil Gaiman 
where he's gone back and retold a bunch of Norse mythology stories written, you know, in a more understandable way. And the book's just called Norse Mythology by Neil Gaiman. Uh, I read it in like one sitting and basically Loki has a lot of kids. Dudes, dudes, dude sleeps around. Yeah. Yeah, that's all we need in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. More horny Loki, you know? He's already fucking... To be fair, quite often he's like turning into an animal and sleeping with other animals and making weird hybrid people. Yeah. (coughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Loki's a weird dude, but uh, fearing Fenrir's strength and knowing that only evil could be expected from him, the gods bound him with a magical chain made of the sound of a cat's footsteps, the beard of a woman, the breath of fish, and other occult elements. It was said he would be released from his chains on Ragnarok Day, and uh, the movie for Ragnarok actually has Fenrir as the wolf. Yeah. Which yeah. is... Pr- so yeah, Ian Briggs wrote Curse of Fenric after his trip to Sweden where he became interested in ancient runescones and Vikings culture. He proposed the episode should be set in Scandinavia, but that was rejected because a British coastal setting was easier to achieve. It's classic Doctor Who, they didn't have a budget to go yeah. overseas. Cheapest Makes option perfect wins. Sense. Cheapest option <laughs> wins every time. Uh, so the script editor Andrew Cartmill wanted the story to be set in the past. Briggs suggested 1970s, but that was thought to be too recent. And then Briggs then thought of World War II and the Blitz, eventually setting on the, di- on the idea of an army camp instead. And thus Fenric became the only World War II classic story in Doctor Who, which is wild to think about because one of our most famous villains are the Daleks based off of the Nazis. Yeah, that is honestly like it, surprising that they've only it's the only story set in World War Two from Classic yeah, Who. That's wild. Like, that's such a like, big maybe they just thought it was too recent. Yeah, that's that's probably it. And also, yeah, a lot of viewers probably went through the war and yeah. didn't want to watch anything to do with the war. We yeah. were fine with instead watching, you know, Nazis like Daleks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Make it a metaphor more than right on the nose. And yeah, and 20... nowadays the doctor sides with the Nazis, so it's weird. Oh God! <laughs> yeah, we don't talk about that. <laughs> also, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, the only the only World War Two story, and it's also twenty six seasons in. That's wild to think about. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when the script was completed, everyone involved realized the story was overwritten, and we were talked we were talks about extending it to fit five parts. Which, yeah, you don't like five parters. <laughs> nope, I barely like four parters. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, as soon as you break that four-part, you know, four-part maximum story, then you're you've got filler episodes that don't need to be yeah. there. You've got episodes as glaringly as the one that we covered with um the Sarah the Jane's Fare, the Sarah Jane's farewell one, where Sarah Jane's farewell wasn't even it was four parts for that episode. Oh, yeah, I know that's how bad that was. Where she's just <laughs> walking around the nuclear facility. <laughs> <laughs> for an episode in silence yeah you, like you know when you start doing stuff like that it's like yeah you didn't yeah. have enough script did you and whereas here is there's too much script you know there's too much going on in this episode i reckon but um yeah so they realized that uh the all the episodes overran and it had to be trimmed 12 minutes of footage were cut altogether so we couldn't do a new episode because obviously it would only be a half episode just make someone and walk also- around for 10 minutes <laughs> Yeah, so Ian Briggs was heartbroken at the final four episodes feeling that they didn't represent his proper script in full. However, there is two extended cuts. Six minutes was added in for the 1991 VHS, and John Nathan Turner was adamant about editing his way, and he basically locked himself in an editing suite and just, you know, added the extra six minutes, which still didn't 
include enough to make this story make sense. <laughs> so in t- so in 2003, the DVD came out and they added the 12 minutes cut from the broadcast that gave the story a more cohesive narrative. And it was in dedication to a director, Nicholas Mallet, and John Nathan Turner, who had just died a few months prior to its release. So it's really sad. It's interesting that, you know, they had to cut it to make it fit. And then, you know, they're going through all the footage and they're like, oh my God, where are we going to find 12 minutes to cut this down? Oh, you see this bit where they explain the plot? Get rid of it. <laughs> that's, the, that's the point we have to get. Not any of the other stuff, you know, people bumbling around or, you know, this awkward pause here or this bit of dialogue that's not really needed, you know, cutting a few seconds out or a few minutes out of different scenes. Just this 12 minute exposition that tells the entire story. Uh, get, yeah. That's the one that, that's, that's what we're cutting out. That seems like such yeah. a weird choice. I think it becomes more apparent in, like, episode four, where it's, like, suddenly people are teleporting all over the place without explanation. There's some some exposition not given on screen where you're like, what the fuck is going on here? But we'll we'll get to the cut scenes and all that. It wasn't too bad, but, yeah, it, it, it felt like the, it needed an extended cut. And also the Blu-ray transfer is amazing if you ever get a chance to watch it. They, it, they do excellent work on that. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, so, it's, yeah. it's it's modern enough that the, you know, tapes will be pretty easy to, you know, they will be a better quality than the tapes that were used in the 60s. <laughs> you know, yeah. 20 years of advancement. Jesus, yeah. It's, it's, it's insane to think about how long Doctor Who was on there for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hang on. 1989. Uh, uh, yeah, so... Star Trek The Next Generation was in its third season when this yeah. last season of Doctor Who was out. Like The thing is, Star Trek The Next Generation, I haven't seen a single episode of it, but feels so much newer than that because yeah. obviously they, they, Doctor Who was always behind the times in terms of how to format a story and all that. I, I always <laughs> think it should have gone to like 45 minutes episodes in the 90, or the 80s. Yeah, sorry. which you know, which is what Star Trek did. Star Trek's 45-minute uh, episodes... Uh, you know, and it's a mixed bag of quality with yeah. any sci-fi show, but more often than not, it's a pretty amazingly paced episode. You know, at least yeah. to some really compelling writing and stuff. Uh, you're right. We should do a Star Trek podcast instead. <laughs> oh yeah, especially where I know nothing about Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, our rules would be reversed. <laughs> uh, so this became it became clear earlier on that recording on location would benefit the story instead as using a real army camp would make more sense when building a studio to look like one. And Cheapest the option Curse wins of Fenric, again. <laughs> yeah, The Curse of Fenric became one of the only stories in Classic Who to not use studio, which is kind of insane to think about, because obviously we've covered Classic Doctor Who in, before, and it's always so obvious whenever we cut back to a studio rather than yeah. location. I think it's, it, it, it's a double-edged sword uh, in this case because the actual, you know, I say set, it's not, we just said it's not set, but the locations are at look pretty great, but the audio uh, you can tell they're in a room that was not designed for recording audio mm. in because it is yeah. bad a lot of the time or too quiet or really echoey. You know, the the acoustics just yeah. aren't great. I think a lot of that comes down to budget, folks. I'm looking at certain shots of this episode or story and it feels like it's just an amateur student film or so, whatever. Like, there's a... yeah, the yeah. way that this is shot, and I, I think it's, maybe it's just the cameras they're using... Canine and Company, 
that is the yeah. vibe I, that is it looks like canine <laughs> and company to me you know it's yeah, shot li- there's some shots that are better than canine and company but the whole color palette the people moving in and out of rooms just the way it's shot is canine and company Speaking of color palette, the color palette is so much improved on the Blu-ray. Like they, they really worked their asses off to make it look great. And again, the underwater shots just look beautiful and blue. And I, you should watch it. Get this Blu-ray, man. <laughs> but there's so, I, there's so many Doctor Who Blu-rays, right? And <laughs> I don't, I don't <clears throat> want to spend all that money on them. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, obviously this episode was one of the most complex and ambitious studio, uh, location schedules in Doctor Who at the time. They, they had two weeks of filming in Kent and East Sussex, and a week in Lulworth Coast for the coastal scenes. And this was a 19-day shoot, and we basically shot like a feature-length movie, which is rough. And that's why a lot of a lot of it looks amateurish, but I think the crew were doing their best, obviously. Mm-hmm. So yeah, all interiors were found or constructed during location, and we had to fight strong cold winds, snow, rain, and really bad mud, because, you know, this is British weather we're talking about here. It will be snow in one minute, and hot, 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 hot weather the next minute. That's Britain for you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, of course, we're covering this episode. Well, we didn't choose this episode, but... Ace is in this episode, yes. and she's going to be back in a centenary special. In a centenary, and Ace is an episode. Uh, sorry, Ace is she's, a character. She's a whole episode. <laughs> uh, Ace is a character who's very beloved in Doctor Who, and if you want to compare it, in 1960s, the companions were often split up from the Doctor to create subplots, basically told, "Oh yeah, go make a cup of tea over here for this person," and. Oh yeah, you you need to lie down because a Dalek plunger hits you on the head. Sorry, Tegan. <laughs> yeah, there's uh that actually was my favorite moment. Uh, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it when it comes up, but it was my favorite moment in this. I think it's the first episode or maybe the second episode when the Doctor is like finding out about the curse, and he's like, "Oh no!" But I've left Ace there. She's gonna be. Then Ace just walks in like, "Hi, Doctor." <laughs> you know, yes. <laughs> To like yeah no i'm here for the adventure i'm not getting abandoned anywhere like... yeah that's my favorite part about ace she's just so, such a smart companion and in, so in the late 80s the story structure changed to have companions always be by the doctor's side in order to develop to develop a relationship which you know doctor cl- modern doctor who does that in yeah. well not well Chibnall, but <laughs> you know uh russell t davis and moffat did a lot of companion work like that have a relationship between the doctor and her his companion mm-hmm. that's how you should do it but yeah um a bit, little bit of backstory on ace because it's important to this episode ace was a young girl who was caught in a time storm and she ended up on a planet called ice world and she became basically like a diner servant and it was a shit story and I have no reason to go back to that story, but yeah, she got she was a modern she was a modern Earth girl, you know. She was from the eighties, okay, so not modern anymore. Yeah, okay, but and... she was from the eighties <laughs> and teleported to an alien planet. Yeah, and then she obviously became companion to the Doctor, and they travelled around and stuff. Um, so yeah, one thing about Ace is because uh, she was being constantly educated by the Doctor, and this was Sylvester McCoy's idea. Because he liked the idea of having Sophie Aldridge to deliver some of the complicated lines for him. (laughs) (laughs) But it also gives Ace an interesting character arc, you know, where she's a rebellious teenager and she slowly grows into, like, a mature woman. 
and that's you know like one of the first companions to actually have a character arc in classic who which is wild to think about who who would have thought the character arcs are important you know get rid of them i say i right the, o- the only arc you need can you ride a bike yes no <laughs> and then by the end of it maybe you can done <laughs> um so uh this episode curse of fenric kind of uh is a middle point of a trilogy called the ace trilogy where ace gets a load of focus uh the episode before ghostlight explores her lashing out uh, her friend was a victim of a racial attack and she burned down a victorian home to just lash out and this victorian home kind of got, got haunted by a ghost and that's why she was angry enough to burn it down because the ghost kind of possessed her yeah, and that whatnot. checks out that checks out that <laughs> checks out yeah but you know exploring the companion not being perfect she's she's angry at the world lashing out like that that's some interesting character arc stuff and of course curse of fenric explores her in a new way in terms of like sexuality and her past which will come to next week uh, the episode after this was survival and it's about her wanting to be independent and also it explores her sexuality because there's some gay subtext there which was what well, had to be subtext because you know it's 1980s and yeah. you couldn't have gay characters on television for children which is kind of i would i would say i would like to say oh thank god times have changed but look at disney and they're doing the same thing you're just cutting out gay scenes which is well it's interesting it's interesting with disney um you know they're a massive corporation they quite often they've been cutting out gay scenes for for years at this point you know they have a 10 minute gay scene here good we can cut that out for the chinese version who cares ha 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 um but doctor strange has just been banned in egypt and stuff because there's a gay scene that they're refusing to cut out uh which is like of you know okay disney well done for not doing it but why why well, why re- for this one now you know uh, when yeah, they're only refusing it because they don't want any more backlash because mm-hmm. of the, obviously the whole don't say gay bill in florida and that whole debacle with disney they just want to look good now <laughs> so, yeah yeah it, it's do as little as possible and look as good as possible that's what we're doing yeah well i but mean yeah they're a, a giant you know monopoly business their goal is money they don't have morals that <laughs> y- you know it's whatever moral gets them the most money is the one that they're going to follow <laughs> but yeah uh, back to ace ace is like one of my favorite companions you know instead of being like a screaming girl who just wants help from the doctor every turn she's like oh i'm gonna blow shit up and just I'm smart enough to know what I'm doing here. I'm just going to blow shit up and just yeah. That's what, I'm, that's what my that's what my that's what my character is. I'm just I'm just like that. I yeah, love uh, Ace. I, I I've only seen the first two episodes of this story so far, so uh, I have no strong feelings towards Ace one way or another because I have not been exposed to her long enough to form a coherent opinion. But she's fun, I... and I like the back and yeah. forth with the Doctor. Uh, it's a, yeah, it's, it's a, they have fun chemistry. So the last two episodes of this story gives her so much character, and I am excited to see whether or not your opinions lean more towards liking her. Because yeah, she's my favorite companion, hands down, probably. Okay. Okay. But yeah, um, that's all the Curse of Fenric notes. Shall we begin episode one? We shall jump in to episode one. Hey, Vicar. Yes. Shouldn't have all this silverware lying around. Too wide open. They're superstitious people in these parts. 
too afraid of the old Viking curse to break in here. Curse? This church is built on old Viking graves. They say evil was once buried here. Okay, so in classic Who style, the episode just starts with the intro. We get no cold open to bleed us in or anything like that. And this is an interesting intro, I think. So it's very late 80s. Yep. It's very bad CGI. So, you know, (coughs) if we're comparing this to Star Trek, which, you know, Star Trek is a much bigger budget, whatever. The Star Trek Next Generation intro is iconic. You know, it's we're flying through space. You've got the this Enterprise zipping by and planets are going by. Big orchestral music's playing, you know, and it looks amazing. Even to this day, it looks amazing, uh, you know, because it was done with miniatures with, you know, with CGI, but, you know, pretty decently done. This, however, is a particle effect trying to get away as a galaxy. Um <laughs> It's just this blue, very pixely thing. And then a marble shows up. And that marble has the TARDIS in it. A, a very CGI TARDIS as well. The, all of this looks like a cartoon. Uh, like a bad car, Like, um, but ugly Martians. Uh, yeah. Y- <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> the, the, the great show. Uh, but the, uh, you know, the TARDIS shows up in a marble. And then it, it kind of falls into the galaxy. And then the Doctor's face shows up in Classic Who style. But is, is it just weird? They've got like a filter on him to make him look way younger than he actually is. So his his face is actually painted silver. And don't ask me why it's painted silver. I, I don't know why it's painted silver. It's a future, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> and then he like winks. Yeah, <laughs> but like he doesn't properly wink. It's like they fade transition to a photo of him winking, then fade back. Rather than having a video of him winking, it's two two still images that they've cross faded, and it looks terrible. Then he explodes, uh, and into like a whiteness of stars, and we get the logo Doctor Who forming. Uh, and uh, I, I, it's I a signature. <laughs> yeah, it, I know it's the signature for Doctor, and then who is in giant metallic lettering. It's um, the, I think the best logo the show's ever had, hands down. No, certainly not. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm I'm not a big fan of this intro in general. It just also the CGI comets, I guess they are. They look kind of like paper. Yeah, they look, you know, like if you scrunch up a bit of paper and just throw it across the room. The like the intro song as well. It takes it. It starts off, I think, really bad. It's really computery and really yeah. just like basically no tune to it. Then it kicks in and it's like, oh wait, no, this is Doctor Who. Okay, I can find the Doctor Who note suddenly. Uh, but I think it's my least favorite Doctor Who theme song as well. I'm fine with the theme mainly because it has the middle eight. I love the middle eight, so <laughs> anything to do with middle eight, I'm all here for. Yeah, yeah, easy, please. Some people. <laughs> And if you and if you don't know what middle eight is, insert a clip of Peter Capaldi explaining middle eight. It's the bit that goes. Etc. Get the middle eight back. So the episode opens with uh, some men pushing uh, or, or sailing on a wee 
World War II floaty boat thing uh, through some misty, smoky water. And it looks it looks quite nice. And, you know, we're cutting into the ocean every now and then. We see a, the head of a Viking ship. And we uh, there was a cool shot where you're seeing the boats pass over from underneath. Yeah. So it's like the silhouette of the boat above. Uh, I, I like that shot. Yeah. The, again, the underwater shots look excellent. And you can tell they're really trying to make it look cinematic. Mm-hmm. Uh, the TARDIS appears, uh, and the Doctor and Ace step out, and they're like, ah, yes, look, World War II uniforms, ha, 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 you don't look like an idiot, Ace, good job, because she's dressed in appropriate garb for the era, which was surprising to me, because every clip I've seen of Ace, she's, like, just wearing her regular, like, bomber jacket. Yeah, the thing about John Nathan Turner is, he really loved the companions and the Doctors to always wear the same outfit constantly. So that's why every whenever you look at a clip of the 1980s, everyone's wearing the same outfit. I, I, don't, I don't know what he liked about it, I guess just to make it easier, easier for the kids to tell who's who. But yeah, this is one of those rare times where a companion actually wore something else. Yeah, yeah. And it feels wrong. And, al- <laughs> and, and also, um, the Doctor making fun of uh, Ace's, what Ace is wearing was unscripted. It was just Sylvester McCoy making fun of Sophie. <laughs> right. Uh, we we get uh, more of the World War Two guys and they start speaking in not English, uh, which means the TARDIS's auto-translator must be broken. Uh, what's going on there? Uh, but they they are speaking in Russian, I think it is. Um, yeah, they're speaking in Russian. Uh, the script had the Russians originally speak English without any reference to subtitles, but uh, uh, they've suddenly realized, oh, we should probably start off with them speaking Russian. And Tomic Bork, who was one of the, uh, he played the captain, actually translated the script for them. He was he was actually Polish, and the rest of the Russians were actually Polish, which were kind of distressing for Polish to play Russians for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, they do a terrible job anyway. Uh, I don't think they sound Russian at all. I think these are are are, are bad actors for the most part. Um, yeah, they they stood out to me as like, well, oh, that's not a convincing accent. Uh, <laughs> even if they are Polish, you know, it sound it doesn't yeah. it doesn't sound Russian. Um, but the doctor and Ace are, you know, walking, walking on down. There's, you know, some fun back and forth between them still, where Ace is like, "I want to go rock climbing," and the doctor's like, "You're dressed like an idiot." Ha ha ha. Uh, uh, there's also a point where uh, Ace is like, "Oh, if, if this is a naval camp, I'm Lord Nelson, and you should recognize the name Lord Nelson because he was referenced in the Sea Devils." The doctor said he was best mates with him. Which is yeah, a connection. Course. I remember we- every line of dialogue from <laughs> the Sea Devils. It was so compelling. We can't get away from the Sea Devils. There's so much Sea Devils. We can't devils get away from the ocean this- right now. We've covered so many <laughs> water-themed episodes. Um, yeah. But the Doctor and that they get surrounded by uh, British Army soldiers, and they're like, "Oh my God, how did you get on here? Who are you?" And the Doctor immediately snaps into, you know, "Oh well, it's about time your boots are dirty." You know, uh, where is this? Show me to this commander person. Oh, never mind. I'll do it myself. Uh, just immediately taking charge of the situation and controlling the conversation, which I very much enjoyed. Yeah, when when I started this episode a few weeks ago, I, I immediately texted you. Oh yeah, Sylvester McCoy is off to a great start in this story. He's 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 an ex. He's probably one of my favorite doctors. But it's, there's so much doctors I can't pick my favorites anymore. It's so difficult. Yeah, uh, every, but, every doctor is good and brings something different to the role. Yeah, 
so in the extended cut of this episode, we, we'd keep cutting to British soldiers waiting for the Russians, but instead they watch the Doctor and Ace. They realise they aren't the Russians when we catch on that one of them is a girl, so we are about to shoot them if yeah, you didn't realise one no of them girls was a girl. in Russia. No girls in yeah. Russia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in the meantime, the Russian soldiers are s- deciding that they have to speak English from now on, uh, you know, to, to maintain their cover. Yeah, I'm not sure why we, we want to speak English now, because it would make them I guess if somebody, to... I guess if somebody overhears. I guess. But, but I feel like the accent's a dead giveaway. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, Amber uniforms. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but they, uh, one of their crew members is, like, dead isn't or dying uh, he's been attacked yeah. attacked by something with nobody seeing which i was confused by um when did he get attacked exactly i'm not really sure to be honest because they all got off the boat and then they were like okay speak english wait this dude's hurt oh no what happened i was like did i miss a scene you know uh what yeah, happened I don't, here? I, don't, I don't think it's explained really in the, in the actual cut as well so i don't know but yeah, yeah he got hurt yeah he got hurt uh and that that that's a recurring theme with these russian guys <coughs> is uh you know getting hurt and uh, this dude specifically he comes back later on but the doctor yeah. barges in to uh this professor of science dude's uh house and we will see what happens because i haven't watched any further yet <laughs> uh, so we get a very fun scene with the doctor and this uh professor guy i forget his name he's in a wheelchair uh dr Logic. judson yeah judson um where he comes in and he's very rude to the doctor he's very shouty and his nurse is like hey calm down your blood pressure and he goes shut up crane uh do you recognize the nurse no, I, I barely see her face. Should I recognize her? Well, she will be in Doctor Who later in another vampire-esque story. Uh, she's in Smith & Jones as the lady who sucks blood. Oh, okay. Okay. That's yeah, a... she's, she's the old lady that tries to kill the Doctor at one point and then Martha saves her. Because, I remember, you know... the, yeah, that's the first episode with the Jadoon. Um, yeah. And I remember that episode terrifying me as a kid because the idea of drinking blood from a straw, like, the stra- <laughs> uh, it was gross. Good episode. Um... But this, uh, the doctor impresses uh, the professor guy by understanding what the prisoner's dilemma is and understanding the logic gate problems and the code breaking ideas that this guy's doing, which basically tells you everything that you need to know about this professor. He's working on how to break Russian codes, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah. This doctor is based on Alan Turing, which is obvious. And yeah. Alan Turing is, of course, a gay man in, in, in World War Two, and Dr. Judson was supposed to be gay but again bbc rules meant that his gayness couldn't be on screen which is a shame and instead they're like oh yeah in the script he was supposed to be frustrated about his sexual identity and we were like okay how about he's frustrated about his disability and treated like an invalid and that's that's where that's why it got changed which is a fair enough thing yeah yeah uh it's a shame but you know dems were the times i suppose uh in the meantime the doctor is typing up on a typewriter and we he also find out the doctor's ambidextrous when he asks for two pens and starts signing off with two hands which was a nice little detail i thought 
Uh, Wonderful. Yeah, uh, and Ace is impressing the professor by understanding what logic is as well, and understanding what computers are, Which, because obviously this dude is, you know, this is top secret information. Computers are massive and fill rooms, and, you know, not most yeah. regular folk don't understand what a computer is, and she's like, yeah, no, I got taught this stuff in school, uh, which is, you know interesting i don't think they teach logic gates in school anymore or you know how the internal workings of a computer i sure wasn't taught it when i was at school yeah neither was i i presume it's more of an 80s thing when, yeah you know, when computers were more of a you know thing that you have to learn rather than just a tool you use in everyday life yeah, yeah. <laughs> a tool you carry around in your pocket at all times yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh and then an army soldier burge's bursts in and he's like these guys are unauthorized and the doctor's like i am um, look at this paper that i definitely didn't just type up you'll <laughs> see that it's from the prime minister and you know need to know basis blah blah, blah. and the guy's like ah oh, my bad and the doctor's like hey no bother and that's basically the end of the scene it's a really fun scene i think it introduces us to uh a, an important character to the plot uh it goes on for long but i was never bored watching it yeah, I think Sylvester McCoy's energy is just so quick-paced, and he's like, oh yeah, this is what I'm doing now, I'm doing this now, this now, this now, and I really love watching Sylvester McCoy, he's a natural, and of course the scene ends with um, being like, oh yeah, the doctor's like, I want to I want to go to my bunker now and just rest for the night, mm-hmm. even if it was daylight outside, but uh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> that was the thing, this is a very bright episode like yeah. like everything is shot in the daytime there's like it's never dark uh and i remember thinking that it was very especially in the next episode when you're getting into the more horror elements when the vampire lady starts mm-hmm. it's just broad daylight and i'm like this isn't very spooky you know? yeah <laughs> like, but if you remember it's it's 1989 and equipment for filming on isn't equipped to shoot in the darkness felt well and also tv sets in the 1980s weren't hey, like great I, for dark I, scenes they can do stuff in star trek oh you know you know star trek's out at this point this is a pure doctor who problem this is a doctor who budgety <laughs> problem not a not yeah. a technology problem this is a yeah, doctor got, who yeah. being cheap problem <laughs> and also this was shot in 19 days less less mm. than three weeks which i don't have people crew at all yeah we get a whole heap of stuff happening as we cut back to the Russian soldiers and they're like, okay, we need somebody to go do a lookout on the beach. Hey, you random dude, you can do it. And he went by myself. And the guy goes, yeah, you know, <laughs> one of our guys mysteriously died, but that doesn't bother me. Uh, I'm sure you won't mysteriously die as well and everything will be okay. And that guy's like, oh, well, I guess I'm not going to die then. Oh, well, what's this, yeah. a red shirt? Yeah, I'll put that on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's classic uh, horror movie tropes where it's like, oh, yeah, I'm putting everyone in danger. Even for, uh, There's a clear danger here. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, there's a clear danger, danger, but I don't care. I'm just not paying attention to that danger. Yeah. Uh, and in the meantime, while that's happening, the doctor and Ace are going to their bed. Ace very rudely shouts, you know, uh, as they walk in. Well, I don't understand. She's just a bit bit not thinking when she comes into the room <laughs> shouting uh, in the, the bed, bunk beds. And the doctor tells her uh, to shut up, basically, you know, to be less quiet. And they, they climb into bed. Ace asks if she can go rock climbing. The doctor's like, shut up. Uh, and, you know, I asked this when we were watching it, but for obviously for podcast reasons. Um, why did they choose to sleep? I mean, obviously we see the doctor isn't going to sleep, but why Why did they choose to come? Oh, let's go see this World War II base. Oh, we're here for five minutes. Let's go to bed rather than just sleep <laughs> on the TARDIS for five minutes or time travel five minutes into the future when they yeah, don't the need to thing- sleep. Yeah, the weird thing is it suddenly becomes nighttime and there's no explanation as to why yeah. it's suddenly nighttime because 
we've seen before we saw the doctor was in middle of the day yeah middle of the day you know then it's then it's artificial (laughs) darkness where it's shot in the middle of the day and they've just turned the brightness down uh but Uh, but as to the reason why they're not inside the tardis in this episode to sleep or whatever is because the tardis set was falling apart (laughs) (laughs) they they couldn't really use it because the walls were shattering apart it was not a good time for doctor who you know (laughs) That's a shame. That is a a shame. Um, uh, but uh, sorry, in the Blu-ray in the extended cut, this scene was extended and ended with the Doctor going out to investigate. So you're not suddenly like, oh, wh- why is the Doctor here now? He's just teleported. On? Yeah, he's yeah. teleported here. Um, and then also Ace is still in the room and she hears the cry of a baby in another room, which comes into play later. Yes. Uh, the um, the guy, the Russian guy, walking on the beach. It finds like an envelope just sitting in on the stones, which is just you know an interesting thing to find, and it's got a picture of the uh, professor guy, Ed Judson, uh, in it, and he looks at it. what I'm proud of you for yeah, remembering the name. Yeah, yeah, it's because <laughs> it, it, it sounded like Jug, and so I just remembered Jug, um, and it, you know he takes that and it pulls it away, and we cut then to i think it we cut to just a guard walking and the doctor teleporting in front of his face and going eyes eyes are everywhere which i genuinely really liked i, lo- I love the doctor being a total weirdo to some guy <laughs> yeah, that's the best mccoy to t he's always been weird around people yeah it was uh it was really good and we see various shots of the uh russian soldiers like sneaking around and spying on the base and then we see something we were in the perspective of a monster sneaking up on the russian soldier which i thought was a pretty fun shot there was this you know cg effect on the camera to make it look more like an eyeball which i thought was fairly effective yeah a classic uh, point of view perspective in classic who is is always being used and it is always effective mm-hmm. and uh i think they get attacked and then it cuts to the morning time outside the church I don't think yeah. I've I've missed out any scenes. It's 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 pretty quick paced at this point. You know we're coming yeah. up to, we're coming up to about a quarter way into this episode, uh, and the plot is slowly getting moved. But we're cutting about like crazy in classic Who style. You know, mm-hmm. every shot is lasting like a second or two seconds because they're trying to quickly get this plot out. You know, in twenty minutes time. Yeah, but I would rather take this rather over the Sea Devils, which moves at a slug's pace. Yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> This, this this feels more like classic who where it doesn't quite gets it gets it breath so I, f- I feel a lot of mo- I feel a lot of modern who kind of rushes about place it's interesting because you know with classic who it's one or the other it's either it's way too slow or it's way too fast you know if we yeah. th- if we think to like sea devils where it's way too slow or if we go to um the demons where scenes were lasting like a second and then cutting away to another (laughs) scene that also lasted a second you know uh finding the pacing for classic who is something they always struggled with which is same i I feel exact same thing with uh, modern who i feel like the 45 minute format quite doesn't quite work a lot of the time because we're rushing about too much no i don't have that issue i think modern who is paced almost perfectly every time you know, I'm never finding an episode too long or too boring. You know, maybe there's mm. one or two that are too long, but most of the time throughout the show, I'm entertained and like 45 yeah. minutes is a good adventure. I, I mean, 45 minutes is in it or some episodes that go by way too quickly and suddenly there's not enough time to explain the plot or whatever. Yeah. So the um, 
you know, we're at, we open up to a church in the day and we get our introduction to the annoying old lady for this uh, story. Uh, you know, you can't have a classic Who story without an annoying old person. This time it is the old <laughs> lady telling off the vicar for daring to suggest that, uh, you know, the, the war isn't just good guys and bad guys and that there's shades of grey. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. We are the good guys, and they are the bad guys. Which you know, in World War Two, eh, okay, I, I, you could you could make that argument more convincingly than any other war, probably. Mm. But there's shades of grey everywhere, uh, yeah. you know. And you know, that's, that's a very deep, complex issue for you know classic who to deal with. I think it's really interesting. It's here in this episode, you know. Uh, so the priest is played by Nicholas Parsons, who was born in 1923, and just recently died in 2020 at the age of like 97 uh he at the time he was known as a game show host sale of the century so it was very odd to see him in doctor who uh the director cast him after seeing him in a in a pantomime play playing a dame which is again another odd choice um but the reason he he was cast was because he showed a lot of empathy with the children at the end of the play and that's why he's the empath- empathetic priest you yeah know? yeah really interesting casting though yeah uh the doctor shows up and he's like hey i'm looking for this the professor guy and the priest's like oh he's in the crypt come on i'll show you goodbye old horrible lady uh and she storms off as the doctor gets led inside ace is left out with these two girls who will come back later (laughs) Uh, uh, these two girls gene and phyllis are actually written to represent ace's past you know as a young rebel rebellious teenager as, as opposed to the more um more mature woman ace is turning into mm-hmm. uh and she finds out that these two uh women are evacuees from london that are staying with this old lady uh, you know because that's she had been nominated to support them as they were evacuated from london ace is like hey i'm from london as well we should hang out and the girls are like yeah let's go hang out where and uh ace is like two maidens point or Maiden's Point, two miles away is probably what the sign means, but I read it as yeah. two Maiden's Point. I was like, hey, because she's <laughs> meeting two people there that are women. Um, yeah. um, so there was a line cut after this. It uh, wasn't appropriate for half seven on for a children's <laughs> program. Um, so Phyllis would reply with, Maiden's Point, well, that rules me and Jean out for a start. And Ace would be like, and me, see you later, girls. So yeah, again, this is dealing with sexuality, which is a big theme of the episode. Yeah. Uh, but they're going to meet there at Maiden's Point. Uh, in the meantime, Ace is going down to the crypt with the doctor. Uh, do they go to the crypt immediately, or do we get the church scene first? I think we get um, the church, the silverware scene first, don't we? Um, yeah. Yeah. So they're they're in. They're looking. They're talking about like, oh, you've got all this really fancy silverware. It's a shame nobody's going to steal it. And the priest's like, nobody would steal it because of the curse. Ooh. Uh, and there's this really good shot. I thought it's a very subtle shot where ace is in the foreground the priest is in the middle ground and just off in the background you can see the doctor's head on his shoulder so you're seeing all three characters uh you know and their performances and their reactions and stuff at the same time in a shot that feels natural like it doesn't feel like they're standing in an arbitrary way to get the shot to work it feels like they this is just the way they're standing and it's clever camera placement yeah this episode is directed really well Mm-hmm. I thought that was a, a nice shot. I didn't notice until my second time around uh, watching it where I was like, oh, yeah, look at that. That's a good shot right there. Um, 
you know, but yeah, the, that this scene's just there for the priest to be like, ooh, spooky. Uh, and then <laughs> they get let down into the crypt where the professor's, you know, trying to solve this uh, puzzle with ancient Nordic symbols. Uh, the doctor comes in, basically spoils the puzzle for him. You know, and he's like, oh yeah, no, you know, it's like a 16 character alphabet, you know, give him all these hints and uh, gets the professor very excited because he's like, if my machine can solve Nazi sort of... Um, or what do you call them? Uh, codes. Yeah, if it can Nazi solve. Codes, yeah. Yeah, if it, if it can solve Nazi codes, then you know a sixteen-character alphabet it could solve like no problem at all. We'd be able to accomplish so much with this machine. That's exciting. And he starts, you know, trying to solve the puzzle a bit faster. Uh, Ace hears something strange that sounds like machinery, and the doctor dismisses it as the you know bowels of the organs and stuff like that. But Ace isn't super convinced. Uh, they leave. Why did they go to the crypt? Yeah, just to say hi, just to be like, oh, hi. You know, they're just kind of dawdling about the Doctor and Ace at the moment. Kind you know, of, they're... yeah, they are. <laughs> because the plot hasn't kicked in for them yet. They have yeah, no agency. Yeah. We're basically walking around to see where the plot is, what's yeah. going on. <laughs> Usually the plot comes to us. We're having to really find yeah. it this time. <laughs> uh, but you missed out the scene where uh, Militant is in his office and it's covered in Nazi memorabilia. Oh, yeah, yeah. basically... He's basically sitting there and he gets distracted. He walks up to the chess piece and tips a piece over or whatever. Uh, this scene was edited a lot in the transmitted version. Um, so um, in the original cut, there's a lot of it establishing the Nazi memorabilia. It basically opens in a shot of Hitler, which is like, oh my god, what the fuck are we doing here? And then a soldier walks in, realizes that Milton is in deep concentration, apologizes and leaves, and then Milton walks up to the chess piece and tips it over. Whereas in the, in the TV cut, he basically sits there staring at his desk, and he's like, oh, I'm going to walk over here now, rather than walk over there because somebody walked into the room. See, I prefer the TV cut. Um, and that's because the TV cut, to me, is more ambiguous as to why we're here. So when it cuts in, you know, it's like panning up from a desk, and then you get that reveal of all the Nazi memorabilia mm. and stuff. And we have this uh military <laughs> military commander dude just sitting at the desk and for me you know i didn't know the storyline to this one i was like oh, this guy's a nazi what a yeah. random twist this story's taken we're suddenly you know it's he's a nazi controlling this base all along you know uh, which obviously we find out later on is not the case at all but you know for that and having no context and just watching him you know ruminate by himself as he's there fiddling with stuff and trying to figure something out it makes you think you know what's this guy planning he's a nazi all along you know what's going on uh with this thing and it got me thinking more like oh who is this character and what's what's happening with this plot uh, whereas if the guard comes in and he's like, oh, I'm sorry, I would have either thought, okay, you know, either he's not a Nazi or the entire yeah. the entire base are Nazis uh, type deal. I think uh, this is a much more subtle way of, of dealing okay, with that, it. That's a fair thing, yeah. So basically he's just sitting there trying to get in the headspace of what Nazis think in order to beat yeah, them in yeah. the war, which is really interesting stuff. I didn't know about it before I watched this episode. Yeah, it's it's like some interesting character acting that the generals and strategists were doing. You know, you know, become the character. <laughs> you yeah, know, think like the enemy. Uh, but the doctor and Ace uh, leave the church and go look at a gravestone because they're like, "There's got to be a plot around here somewhere." <laughs> uh, they find uh, the doctor. Uh, points to a gravestone ace says a cheeky line about yeah look there's graves everywhere and he's like no the grass look at the grass you know because it's all like squinted and rough like it's been dug up recently and you know they look at the names uh they see that one of them 
uh, used to be, must have been one of the descendants from Nordic invaders due to his last name. And then Ace is like, a baby died, uh, <laughs> which I thought was such a weird uh, thing to add in. You know, it's like, oh, look, this one was only 13 days old. Although I guess, you know, if they're they're talking about dead babies and then they introduce a baby later on. Yeah. Uh, it can add that, you know, oh, my God, they're going to kill off a kid, aren't they? Because you know? if you remember, in the previous scene Ace was in, we as- well, in the extended cut, we established that she hears a baby at yeah. the base. Yeah. And she- obviously she's thinking about babies at this time, which obviously isn't introduced in the TV cut until later on. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. Uh... I don't think anything else of importance happens at the gravesite. If I don't, again, the doctor no. and Ace are really not doing anything of. Su- they're just on. A, they're just watching them on holiday. Like yeah, it's, it's it's still entertaining to watch because the connection between these two actors are just so good. See, it's like um, it's what I imagine happens between episodes. You know, where it's just them basically walking through a living museum to go around yeah. like let's chat to the- oh you're gonna go meet up with these two world or two ladies that's cool i'm gonna come oh yeah that's what happened the doctor decides he's gonna go with ace to make oh, yeah. point um yeah yeah but yeah it, it's it is it's an interesting way we're halfway through and the plot hasn't really started yet but it's been fun and it's been fast to get halfway through this episode it's not dragging yeah, and, uh, and also you're sitting there wondering where the mystery is going to come in what exactly is going on with each of the new characters we're introduced to what they're doing what their story is and we'll get plenty of that information later on it's i'm intrigued so far is what i would say <clears throat> the doctor and ace are at the beach and they're like wow it's nice here at the beach uh and then ace is like oh but all the litter and the doctor's like what are you talking about you know she's like litter from picnics it's everywhere he's like no people don't picnic here we're in an army camp remember uh and uh, the, do- the, do- the doctor turned around and was like but for this isn't a jody whitaker storyline this isn't an about the <laughs> litter <polluted>. yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> um and they uh they they find this discarded paperwork uh which i guess washed up it's unclear how it got there um, especially because it's the Russians paper. I, mm. I, I guess it, maybe the guy that got killed dropped it. Yeah, um, yeah so I'm thinking as well, yeah. Yeah, but the doctor picks it up and starts <laughs> going through and he's like, oh, oh, you know, you know, he's like, look at this, look at this lettering ace, who is it? And she goes, Greeks, he goes, Russians. Uh, I, I just, I like the way he says Russians. <laughs> uh, but the, the, the starts looking through it and Ace is like, we need to warn the base. And he's like, nah, they already know, don't worry, it's easier for the plot if they already know. Uh, you know starts going through the base and he's like oh okay so there's some interesting stuff here i think we need to go back to the church and have a wee chat with the vicar uh you know because i think things are the plot's starting to form for us finally and yeah. uh, the, the word on the, the the mention of the word church ace is like i don't want to go to church and the doctor's <laughs> like okay well just stay here whatever bye uh and ace just decides she's gonna have a moment at the beach by herself it's extremely windy it must have been freezing like yeah, again, strong winds on the, the shooting of this episode. And also she starts throwing a rock and suddenly it becomes bad CGI, like in Legend <laughs> of the Sea Devil. <laughs> yeah, yeah. see, it comes full circle. It, it, it comes full circle. Uh, we also get a scene with the angry old lady who I don't think is a good actor uh, with the two the two girls. Well, the angry old lady comes in and she's like, you know, you're not going to Maiden's Point. You know why they call it Maiden's Point? And she uses so many words to describe 
people having sex like she's yeah. like you know people go there and you hear the screaming of the you know sin that was in their heart and they're all damned to hell uh you know and the two girls nudge each other like ha 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 um it's fine it's just it's explaining stuff that we don't really need to know i you know yeah. other other than it's a play you know it's it's a sinful place to go um yeah <clears throat> It it does help set up some of the themes of the episode yeah, as well. For yeah, like yeah. me as me as a kid, I was beginning to understand what the themes of the episode were. Like I was a I was probably like eleven when I watched this episode. Funnily enough, straight after this episode was on, I saw the, the TV movie for the first time. So that wow. was a fun afternoon. Yeah, but you you didn't like it, so you were dumb. <laughs> uh, you were a dumb kid because the, the movie's great. Um, uh, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, going from Curse of the Fenric into the TV movie was a whole experience being like, holy shit, the, the value the of quality. the production values. Yeah, the quality Jesus just way up. <laughs> um, but the doctor goes into the church and he startles the... Um, priest who slams the book and some it, it's very theatrical staging you know the door slams the book closes but I, I i quite liked it the way that it was done and then we get a scene and it's a very subtle scene between the doctor and the um the priest where you know they're chatting and they're going through like you know the history of the the nordic people and this huge big you know thing that got translated by this dude's dad or whatever but i think that the acting here uh from oh my god name nicholas parsons or no. sylvester mccoy Sylve- yeah from sylvester mccoy uh how do i forget that you know it's, it's <laughs> sylvester stallone with mccoy crisps uh so, you know what the sylvester stallone's performance here stallone oh my god sylvester mccoy <laughs> so mccoy's performance here is amazing and sylvester stallone shows up and it's wild uh no but i, I it's really subtle and he's mainly just monologuing and reading exposition for like you know he's reading this like poem almost of you know this person yeah. died and it's this big uh nordic thing but just his voice and the way he's delivering the lines i'm like oh this is you know i'm like sitting next to a cozy fire listening to you read this you know yeah. like <laughs> yeah he, he's got a great way of speaking that scottish accent is really good for giving some exposition it's really interesting as well and also nicholas parsons is great in this scene as well yeah 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 it's, it's it's not a bad scene it's a very good scene uh, and we we're cutting back and forth as this is happening. Uh, it, we're aces at the beach, and the two girls show up. How the two girls showed up after they were told not to go? I don't know. I guess they snuck out. It's not really yeah, relevant. They, they, they snuck out. Yeah. It's like yeah. Yeah, it's it's it doesn't really play into anything. Uh, but they're in their swimming gear, and they're like, "Come on, let's go swimming." And Ace is like, "No, there's a ginormous sign behind me. That's <laughs> <laughs> like just a quite frankly ridiculously large sign that says that we can't go swimming because there's undercurrents that'll sweep us away." And the girls go, "Yeah, well, you're just a stupid baby doll." And Ace is like, "No, nah, swimming is stupid." She she literally says, "Swimming is stupid," which yeah. is an interesting line of dialogue uh i think and you know the two girls go out swimming and i'm sure nothing bad's going to happen to them as we get a shot from under the water at something coming up towards them nothing nothing to be concerned about yeah that, that shot from under the water just reminds me of jaws <laughs> you yeah. know just yeah, the yeah, constant yeah, yeah. danger going on and also that sign that sign behind ace dangerous undercurrents is excellent <laughs> and you know ace not wanting to go into the water because c- she's a mature growing woman now is a great little touch as well because obviously before she would have probably swam with them 
even for as dangerous thing. yeah but her describing swimming as stupid is very childlike <laughs> to me that's very you know i don't want to go swimming swim it's stupid you know you're all stupid idiots you know it's it's very very almost babyish as she gets yeah. called uh, uh, this whole scene is supposed to be uh indicate indicative of like peer pressure because there's a scene cut before this where um the older sister is like uh, peer pressure or younger sister to abgale down the rocks abseil abseil yeah i don't know why i get those words confused <laughs> but yeah so yeah this whole peer pressure element is good for the episode i feel yeah yeah uh and you know this is also where we get the um just I, I i love the scene where the doctor is reading this poem and you know he's figuring out that uh maiden's place or maiden's point as it's described in the uh thing is like you know where this stuff's been going down where you know whatever happens this really tragic thing happened he's like oh my god but i just left ace there and it's like yeah no but i'm here now so what's what's going on you know it's just it's a amazing uh you know pulling the rug out from under you where you're expecting the story to go a certain way uh, yeah again in previous stories in classic who ace would have just swam alongside yeah. them or whatever and she would have been needed safe but here she is just like oh, yeah I'm, I'm too i'm not stupid enough to yeah put myself, put myself in, danger. in danger there was a big yeah. sign that said if you go in here you're gonna die <laughs> so i was like yeah i'm not going in there <laughs> like, uh, but also you uh you skipped out for a scene where briggs and judson sorry judson and millington are in the computer room just being like Oh yeah, we can't let the Russians get this. Uh, all that information in there. Yeah, yeah, because that's why I skipped it out. Because it <laughs> you know, there, but, there's um, a good line of dialogue I thought where uh, Judson's talking about how marvelous computers are and how they're going to be, you know, in every home and they're going to be doing loads of thinking. And the the soldier guy's like, "Yeah, but whose thoughts will they think?" I thought that yeah. was a really good line. Uh, you know, that's a line that but, stood out to me. One thing to talk about that scene is that in the original script, Judson and Millington would have been former gay lovers, but no. obviously that had to be cut out. And it comes back later, in fact. I'll point it out later, but yeah. That's when they kiss and they go... Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's a shocking way to end the episode. <laughs> yeah, that was very shocking. It just turns into full frontal nudity as well. We get, uh, we see the two girls who have seemingly survived their we trip out to the ocean despite what the large sign said. And they're doing that thing that I got taught in primary school that World War II people did, where they're yeah. drawing on the back of their legs to make it look like tights. And I was like, you know, does it, is it something that actually worked? Because, like, you know, I know they, I understand they did it and, you know, it's a way of making them feel like they weren't in the middle of wartime. But surely yeah. it didn't look very good in real life. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it... Um, so these girls are doing it because it makes it will make them seem um, older than they actually are. Because this again alludes to their sexuality. Them wanting to explore their sexuality, which is an important theme. And of course, um, during the scene, we're comparing themselves to like supermodels and pop stars, whatever. Not pop stars because pop wasn't invented yet, but you know what I mean. Famous yeah. people, yeah. famous icons. Yeah, idols. Yeah yeah uh and, and the whole time they're getting watched by this russian soldier who it's, it's, just, it's just this little moment that i really like where he's pointing the gun at them and he's just saying to himself do not come any further do not take another step come on please don't because he because yeah. if they if they spot him he has to take them out and he really doesn't want to kill these two ladies and thankfully they turn off and walk away and he's like just sighs a breath of relief you know 
And of course, we discover a little amulet on the beach, and, we, and we're like, yes. we touch it, and we're like, oh, it's like a pulse of electricity. And I'm, yeah. sh- I'm sure I can't be suspicious at all. No, not, nothing to worry about. Um, <laughs> the doctor gives the professor uh, this book, uh, the book that he got with all the translation in it, and the professor does even more reading from the book. And we discover that, you know, the treasure that the Vikings had stolen, whatever was from the oceans, coming back for it. And it's been killing the crew off one by one, one by one, you know, and the same thing's happening with the Russians as we're getting this shot underwater off, uh, you know, it's pretty, it's a pretty gruesome looking shot. And we get it multiple times off the floating dead body under the water. Um, uh, I have a, qu- I have a question for you. Do you notice anything interesting about this dead body? Uh, that he blinks. Uh, but, and also it's a black man in white makeup. Oh, I didn't notice <laughs> uh, that. So apparently with really white makeup, we needed a black man. This is uh, John Vanderpool, who was an effects assistant. And he was chosen because he's black, and the effect of a corpse worked better with a black man with white makeup. And he was also the only registered diver on set, so it made complete yeah, sense. Yeah, to stick him under the water, yeah. Okay, that that makes sense. It's a, uh, you know, reverse black face. It's, it's, it's uh, <laughs> a white face, but hey, you know, it, if it, 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 is, it is effective it is. because, you know... Apart from, uh, Apart from a bit where he blinks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you, you know, he probably had water in his eye and was like, oh my god, this sucks. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes, uh, so as the professor is, you know, monologuing through uh, about this this treasure, uh, we're seeing the dead body and stuff, we follow a piece of treasure uh, into the ocean uh, that one of the girls throws into the water, isn't it? Uh, and it gets picked yeah. up by a monster hand and we've been watching so much sea devils i really expected there to be a uh, noise <laughs> as the, the hand showed up uh but actually that that brings me into talking about this i think the soundtrack for this episode is used very effectively i think yeah it's subtle and adds to the scenes where you don't notice it where if it wasn't there it would be missing you know yeah. Uh, the composer basically wanted to make it feel like a wartime movie to begin with, and then as fantastical elements, as in the monsters popping later, he wants it to be weirder. And I think the soundtrack really works because it's not in your face and just noise like the sea devils. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we then get the Doctor and Ace opening up a door uh, and being cheeky with one another. There's this moment of what would surely be improv where, you know, Ace is like, oh, I didn't know they had, you know, personal radios. And the doctor's like, no, they're trying to break codes. <laughs> and then you like pull a face at one another. It's <laughs> it's just this charming little bit. Yeah, it really works. Uh, and then, you know, the lady's like, hey, what are you guys doing? The doctor's like, oh, we're just being nosy. What's going on in here? And they have a wee conversation. Ace spots a baby under the table and she's like, oh my God, a child. Uh, and, you know, she... And also Sylvester McCoy makes bird noises, which he I does. love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's channeling his inner uh, Radagast, the brown. Because, uh, you know, he plays him in The Hobbit. Um, Sylvester McCoy is someone I wish was my grandpa or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> he seems like a lovely man. He does seem like a lovely man. Um, you know, they, they pull out the, the baby and... Uh, just this little bit that I that I thought was you know Sylvester McCoy suddenly not acting is you know Ace picks up the baby and she's like how am I supposed to hold this thing Sylvester McCoy's hand is immediately behind the baby's head like yeah that's that's one hundred percent not acting Sophie didn't know how to hold the baby and Sylvester McCoy's like oh fucking watch out Sophie <laughs> yeah he's immediately uh, protecting that baby from bashing its head off stuff which you know 
well done. Uh, <laughs> and also, this is this is very rare that an actual baby is on set mm-hmm. in Doctor Who, and not, not it, a doll. And that baby ruins the scene <laughs> because if it's it's kind of noticeable through TV speakers, it's exceptionally yeah. noticeable through headphones. All the audio is mo- well, you know, all the audio for this interior stuff is just recorded in the room. It's not dubbed over, and the yeah. baby is sitting there, you know, gooing and guying and making all sorts of noises. But there are points it, where a baby is making noises when he's well. The baby is a he, even for the character is yeah. a she. But the baby is making noises even for he isn't on screen. It's like mm-hmm. you couldn't take the baby out of the room. Yeah, yeah, I know. And there are moments where the baby's making a noise, and then in the next shot, it goes. Eh! <laughs> where it wasn't making a noise in the next shot and it just gets cut I, off also you can hear the creaking of the floorboards as well it's not the best sounding scene but yeah. it's it's not that bad but yeah but this, this so is so much worse this is what i was saying you know about it being shot on location and not in a studio they're in a place that had no intention of ever bothering about recording audio you know so they yeah. can have creaky floors and they don't need to worry about stuff like that it's it's in an environment that can't be controlled yes yes uh, but the soldier dude comes in and he's like, what did I say about babies? Get rid of that baby, you know? And the lady's like, oh, but I will. Don't, I'll, I'll get rid of it in, in 24 hours, sir. Ha ha. Did, uh, did you mention that the baby had the same name as Ace's No, mom, not yet. Uh, which is an important detail. That, that's a bit that was that, that comes up, I think, either just before or just after this bit. But yeah, yes. uh, she's like, what, what's the name of this baby? And she goes, Audrey. And Ace goes, Gross. That's the worst name you could have ever named that kid. That is the, and I was like, Jesus, that came out of nowhere. You're just so rude. <laughs> like, well, I mean, well, yeah, yeah. It, she has her reasons, I will say. I don't want to spoil anything for you, but mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and then Ace is like, Audrey from Little Shop of Horrors. <laughs> uh, yeah, she gives the baby back. The guy comes in. Uh, he gets told off about having the baby. And Ace is about to stand up for the lady, and the doctor's like, no, not now. Shut up. This isn't the time or the place. And he grabs her by the scruff of the neck and drags her out of the room, uh, which is where they then discover his Nazi room that he's got. And Ace came to the same conclusion I did, where she's like, oh, my God, he's a Nazi. Yeah. And the doctor's like, no, he's he's not a Nazi. This is just, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's putting himself into the mind of a Nazi, though to astonishing detail, which was just this little line of dialogue where it's like, you know, there's something he respects about the, yeah. the Nazis, that he's gone this far to make it accurate, you know? Um, and there's this other moment where the doctor's, like, looking through photos and, you know, he's just talking, it's very somber, and he's like, look at this, a bombed city, innocent civilians, hang on a minute, as he sees a school uniform photo that's completely, you know, there's something off about it, and he just drops what, and stops talking about this really somber thing to go look at this school uniforms. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, the thing about the bombing of the scene where he's commenting on the bombing, it wasn't scripted, but Sylvester McCoy thought that the doctor would be, you know, as a pacifist in war, you'd be deeply sad about human destructiveness. And that's a touch that Sylvester McCoy wanted in the scene, which really works. It does. It does really work. I think it's it's very effective. Uh, and they, they start looking at this photo, and I forget what was important about this photo. What was important um, about this We photo? find out that Judson and Millington went to the same school together 20 years ago, which will come in in episode 2 in a censored line, which reveals that... We'll, we'll get to it, but we'll find out soon. There was a big kiss. They did a big yeah, kiss. Sir, kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, then we get we cut to um, 
Judson and the soldier guy whose name I don't remember. The two the two boys that like to kiss each Millington. other. Millington. Uh, yeah, the, the two lover boys as they're like, <laughs> uh, you know, reading more from the book and talking about Ace. And Judson's like, yeah, no, Ace is really good with computers. He's so smart. And then uh, the guy's like, yeah, this episode's called The Curse of Fenric. Uh, <laughs> it's just a way to, you know, be like there's there's a spooky curse on, on the place. At this point, we basically figured it out, but it's the final piece of the puzzle, really, isn't it? Yeah. He's also said The Wolves of Fenric, which is, again, an alternate title of the episode. So either mm-hmm. way, he says the title of the episode, yeah. which oh, yeah. is interesting. Yeah. It's a shame that there's still one scene left before it cuts to the credits. Otherwise, it would be a classic, you know, say the title of the episode, go to the credits, yeah. and that would have been <laughs> just perfect. Uh, but there is one wee scene left. Yes, because it is Doctor Who, we need to end with the Doctor about to die. Uh, as the Doctor and Ace are back walking along the beach, Ace spots a dead body of the Russian soldier, and she's like, Doctor, look, and uh, they run over, and he, they see that he's holding something, it's a piece of jewel of the treasure, the Doctor picks it up, and is suddenly surrounded by Russian troops, all pointing their guns at him, and, you know, soundtrack cups in, go to credits, and surely the Doctor is about to be murdered, as happens. Oh, yeah every single week how's he going to get out of this one again surrounded by guns i feel like that happens all the time <laughs> so yeah the thing about this cliffhanger is it's a bit of a fake cliffhanger as we said the episode was overwritten and part way like two minutes into part two is where the real cliffhanger should have been so this is a fake cliffhanger it shouldn't have ended with the doctor being having guns pointed at him but it's it's a fine cliffhanger you know I've seen worse. It's a, it is a classic Who cliffhanger. It fits, yeah. the, you know, I think out of all the classic Who episodes we've covered, 90% of them have ended with the Doctor getting a gun pointed at him. <laughs> like... Yeah, he, he certainly does get in a lot of danger, but it's immediately solved in the next yeah. episode. Yeah, yeah. But that is the end of episode one of The Curse of Fenric, and we shall be jumping into episode two extremely quickly. Uh, any brief thoughts on episode one? Yeah, it's, it's a pretty good introduction episode, you know? It's got a lot of intrigue, a lot of good performances. Sylvester and Sophie are great as always. And yeah, it's a great episode, and it feels like it's really sad to know this is one of the final episodes, because this is where Doctor Who is starting to get back on top, being the great show again after, like, maybe five years of being not so great, but it's, it's, it too is late. what it yeah, is, it's you too know? Too late at that point, yeah. Yes. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I wasn't super into it the first time I watched it. I thought it was a bit slow. Uh, watching it again just now for the podcast, I enjoyed it a lot more. Uh, probably just because I can actually focus on it because that's what I'm supposed to be doing right now and I don't have, like, you know, modern-day distractions around me. Uh, Sylvester McCoy, I think, is great in it. Ace is fun. I still don't have enough on her to form an opinion, uh, but she's she's a character, which is lovely to see, yeah. you know? Uh, yeah. I, I like my, my companions to have characters. Uh, <laughs> Sylvester McCoy is definitely, though, a very good doctor. Uh, he seems yes. like a cozy man. Uh, and yes. that's, you know, I, I'm quite happy to watch a cozy man walk around in a nice jumper and a big jacket be like, mm, yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's it's a solid setup. It's uh, I think it's a bit of a slow burn. Of a, it does take the full 20 minutes for the plot to be set up. Yeah. Whereas usually, you know, the doctor shows up and the plot's going and we're off to the adventure. Whereas this one, you know, they're, they're dawdling about. And they're like, well, okay, we're just going to slowly set up the plot. Uh, which is an interesting choice for the series to take. Um, 
but yeah, no, we're, we're interested to see how it how it concludes with episodes, you know, two, three, and four. Uh, obviously, I've seen episode yeah. two already, but I've not seen three and four yet. But we shall right. jump right in to episode two this episode. So here we go. Go. <laughs> this small capsule contains just a few drops of diluted toxin. No, don't. Just think what a bomb folk could do to a city like Dresden or Moscow. It's inhuman. It could mean the end of the war. And Whitehall thinks that Moscow is careless enough to let you detonate one of those things inside the Kremlin. Oh, but that's the beauty of it, Doctor. We won't detonate it. They'll do it themselves. They'll use the machine to decrypt our ciphers, but Dr. Judson has programmed it to self-destruct when it tries to decrypt a particular word. And once the political climate is appropriate, we will include the word in one of our ciphers. And the word is? What else could it be, Doctor? Love. So the episode begins, as all second episodes do, with the Doctor immediately getting out of the imminent death that he was about to receive. Uh, the guard, the soldier, the Russian soldiers decide they're not going to shoot the Doctor and instead going to stab him with a bayonet because shooting would draw too much attention. Uh, the Doctor speaks Russian to them, uh, um, which uh, then weirdly uh, Ace translates. Yeah, apparently it's really bad Russian on the uh, Sylvester McCoy's part. He's not pronouncing it correctly, which is understandable. That's not, surpri- that's not surprising. He's the, uh, <laughs> as far as I know, he's not a native speaker of Russian. Uh, Are you sure? <laughs> no, I can't say a hundred percent. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, but uh, Ace translated translated to that proverb that we heard before about you know uh, the they're coming for the jewels or whatever the the exact translation was and the uh, the guards like okay well, we're going to take you to the captain because you clearly know something uh, that we don't know. Uh, they take him off to the captain and we cut to the professor for uh, where he's just is just a replay off the scene we saw before where he's reading from the inscription and we're going through the ocean and we see the the like monster hand and the dead guy under the like it's the exact same scene we saw last episode yeah pretty much and then it's the bit after that where we see the Mm -hmm. inscriptions in the wall glow that's that's supposed to be with cliffhanger to episode one but obviously they ran Ah, out of time and had to show it over to this episode which is i think it would have played much better in episode one yeah, and it would make a change of pace for a cliffhanger that isn't just the doctor getting murdered again. <laughs> uh, but hey, oh, I thought the effect of the things glowing was worked pretty well uh, for the digital um, effect that it is. It's not a bad effect. It looks much better on the Blu-ray because they went back and digitally altered it to look much... It's like a green glow this time. That effect was actually done physically, except mm. for there's too much smoke and the camera couldn't actually see what's going on, so we had to go over it with... A digital effect for a time which does not look as great as it should love a good waste of uh, time and effort uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the the doctor gets pulled over to the um or he gets pulled over he gets taken to the the russian captain and they're they're like speaking and the captain's like so if we kill you we lose if we you know if we do anything except you know turn you over then we lose if we let you go then you tell on us and we lose so so what do we do here and the doctor's like you've got to let me go you know it's the the only solution that we've got and you know he's working with the the guy here and he's like your soldier over there the dude that got mysteriously injured before you know let's try and figure out what's wrong with him he goes over and he's he's helping him out and the guy's screaming and talking incoherently 
and I think he just gives the doctor the gem. I don't remember if he says anything of really much well, importance. It's more like the doctor takes, takes it from it. his yeah, hands. Yeah, takes it. And then the guy starts screaming some more. Yeah, and the doctor just puts him to sleep by pressing on his uh, forehead. Because which, which, he do, which he does a lot. <laughs> which yeah. it's, it's a useful trick to have. <laughs> uh, I'm, surprised, I'm, I'm surprised he doesn't frankly do it more often, to be honest. So many yeah. times where it's like, you could just put a guy to sleep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, with great power comes great responsibility, <laughs> you know, so. Uh, well, that's from, that's from Batman. So, yeah, something like that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the um, professor, in the meantime, is shouting at his nurse lady, uh, who calls him an invalid, and he's like, oh, shut up, Crane, again. It's like a catchphrase for him, I guess, because he said it in the last episode as well. Uh, <laughs> and then she just starts to pick him up, and that, that's that's the last we see him see of him uh, so far it's it's a but scene again it's... again it's emphasizing that he's just frustrated about yeah. his disability and treated like a child which is yeah. understandable to be honest yeah and then we see the two uh, girls walking along the beach and they flirt with some soldiers who for the briefest of moments i thought were the russian soldiers and then i went oh wait no 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 we're on <laughs> army base aren't we these aren't the russian soldiers these are just regular british soldiers because i was like those girls are way too nonchalant about those russian soldiers there uh, yeah, but, and, also, yeah. and also remember last episode, one of them had a oh, gun. Yeah, almost got shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but they're walking off back to the beach. They look like they're about to go swimming again. I'm sure there's nothing to read in there, and everything is okay with those characters. Nothing bad happened to them at all. Oh boy, yeah, just a, <laughs> just a nice, pleasant swim in the in the cold English weather. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't think of a better thing to do. Uh, a doctor and ace are then then walk over into a church to go and chat with some folk so the doctor and ace uh walk into the church and the doctor's like something feels you know strange about this church you know something's off about it and ace is like yeah no i thought it was a weird church as well and you know it doesn't seem like a church and the doctor's like, what do you mean it's more like a fortress yeah yeah and he's like no god damn it i i thought you know she's like it looks like a fortress on the outside but the inside is a church and he's like no i thought it i meant it looked different than earlier today you know uh just a little fun we back and forth between them yeah, the little bit, the little bits where the doctor is questioning Ace, trying to educate her <laughs> on the weird going ons around her, is brilliant comedy. Just so much fun watching Doctor and Ace be yeah. uh, teacher and pupil. They have uh, a fun, a fun. I I like Sylvester McCoy's, you know, sarcastic attitude toward. You know, he's uh, sometimes quite mean, but it's always in yeah. a more lighthearted <laughs> way than yeah he, he when when he's mean it feels more like he's like a father figure to ace mm-hmm. which really works in my opinion because also ace is really didn't have any parental figures around in her life so of course yeah. the doc the relationship to the doctor is important to her which comes into play later uh they go into a back room of the church and they're looking at this inscription that they've not seen before and the doctor like, starts questioning Ace about what's wrong with it, speaking about the doctor trying to teach Ace something. Uh, and Ace is like, it's got fewer letters, it's a different alphabet, you know, it's all this different <laughs> stuff. And the doctor's there going like, and what else is different? And the Ace runs out of ideas and he goes, and it wasn't here yesterday. You know, <laughs> this is brand new. Somebody has carved this in. Ace is like, oh, wow, yeah, of course, but this is over 300 years old. You know, how could it have appeared uh, or not appeared yesterday, but appear here today? Uh and Ace again is talking about hearing stuff in the walls, which the Doctor has been dismissing until now. And he's like, "Yo, have you been hearing stuff, Ace? Let's let's investigate that." 
Uh, and during this whole time, we've been cutting back and forth. So the episode uh, pacing wise is a lot quicker than last episode was. You know, there's a lot. Yeah. Everything's in motion now, uh, whereas last episode was setting it up. So we've got a lot of people that we're jumping about with. So we'll leave the Doctor and Ace for now because there's some stuff that we need to chat about before uh, what happens when they open the secret door. Uh, the Russian soldiers are Russian soldiering about. They sneak attack on some British soldiers and knock them out. And that's the last time we see them for a little bit. They're like, did anybody see us? No. Haha, <laughs> good. Uh... <laughs> yeah, apparently in the original script, that was going to be so much more brutal. Then realized it's a kid's program. It's half seven at night. We can't have too much violence. So we had to tone it down considerably. Yeah. The original script seems it was quite strange. You know, it's full of these gay characters. It's got all this violence and it's all these sex innuendos. You know, it's a, a very mature yeah. script idea. Yeah, speaking of um, differences from the script, this is a good point to point out that in the novelization of this script, in, um, so the guy who wrote the episode wrote the book of it, and it was revealed that Milton accidentally caused Judson to become disabled, oh. as during a rugby game when they were young, Milton caught Judson smiling at another boy, and he shoved him to the ground and fractured his spine. Yikes. <laughs> Yikes. Which is, yeah, imagine that on a kid's show at half seven at night. Uh, yeah, in, what, 1982 or something? Yeah, <laughs> 1989, yes. Nine, yeah. <laughs> Milton is being awfully rude to Judson, and he's he yells at him that he has to use the their computing machine to translate the Norse codes instead of the Nazi codes. And he's like, but, you know, I, I wanted to do the Nazi ones. And Milton's like, shut up, just do it. Uh, and then we go back to the doctor. And Ace, as they're looking for this hidden door, uh, and, you know, they're looking at a bookshelf, classic, but this time the bookshelf opens before they realize it, and the doctor turns around to have a gun in his face with Milton pointing the gun. Uh, yeah, it, 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 it's a rather Scooby-Doo-esque scene where uh, Shaggy's, in, like, Scooby's in the background being like, oh no, there's a ghost right behind me, mm -hmm. and Shaggy's too preoccupied at Scooby Snacks or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Just reminds me of Scooby-Doo. It's, it's, it's a fairly, I, I mean, any hidden door in a bookshelf is inherently cartoonish, isn't it? Yes. You know, uh, but... Like, they, how realistic is for the, this to happen? Have you ever encountered one in real life? Not yet, but I'm hopeful. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, someday yeah yeah fingers crossed i come across a secret door in a bookshelf i'm banned from most libraries because i keep pulling books off the shelves uh <laughs> looking for it but i uh, one of these days you know there's a lot of libraries there's got to be at least one hidden door yeah certainly <laughs> Uh, but Milton leads the Doctor down into this dark depths through the the, the hidden door, and it, they find a laboratory where it turns out Milton is making chemical weapons to drop on the Nazi population, or, or is it the Russian population? I think it's the Russian population, or probably yeah, pro probably both. If probably, you're being honest, probably both. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's creating chemical weapons, which you know the Ace and the Doctor are pretty appalled at. Uh, but the doctor, again, this doctor being very talkative and able to talk his way out of situations starts quoting some Norse mythology to uh, Milton, uh, which convinces Milton that the doctor understands why Milton would be creating these chemical weapons and why he wants to do it. So he's like, okay, doctor, come with me. I'd want to show you something, uh, which the doctor is like, you know. 
That's one of my favorite things about this doctor. Like when we spoke about him in the movie, he was reading a book, just educating himself. I really love the fact that the doctor just sits around and reads book when in between episodes. That'd be that's a really good concept. Mm-hmm. Like he's got all the time and he's literally got all the time in the world. Yeah, I like that one song that books. he played on a record that kept going time, <laughs> time, time, time. Yeah, God, that Doctor that Who a good movie, song, yeah. Doctor Who movie, so good. Uh, yeah, I can't, I can't believe you convinced me that the Doctor Who <laughs> movie was good. <laughs> yeah yeah genuinely love it so much um but uh, the doctor convinces well convinces milton that he's on his side and he does a fun finger waggle to ace as they're leaving the room i just a nice little performance from sylvester mccoy he's he's a very fun doctor to watch on screen he's a, he's a very physical doctor for yeah, sure yeah the uh, the priest is also there uh practicing a sermon is what i assumed he was doing because there's nobody else in the church uh or if there was people in the church, I didn't see it. Uh, he, he's he's mainly talking about faith and love and mm-hmm. all that. It's it's important to the episodes about if it's about the theme in the episodes and he, about him losing faith in like society because of a war, obviously. And there's an ice cream truck right behind me. That's great. Uh, but the script was to have a priest break down and cry at the end of reading, and it was thought that the performance was good enough that he didn't need to break down and cry. Oh. And I, he, I think I think he's the best performance in this episode, aside from like Sylvester and Sophie. He's good. He's good. Uh, I wasn't gripped by that scene. I I didn't find its themes to be compelling in any way. You know, it's like yeah, cool. I don't I don't really care about this priest <laughs> character to be fair. You know. Uh, also, uh, go get ice cream. I'd like some. It's very. It's, it's a nice day. So. I, c- I can't remember if it's this episode or the next episode that has a scene with the, um, the priest and Ace. Nothing got seen. Is one of the best of this episode. There is a scene in this episode with Ace and the priest, uh, if, okay. I'm, if I'm remembering, and then the like we'll, vampire we'll girls show up. Spoiler. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the episode continues with the Doctor uh, Ace. I was going to call her Rosa. The Doctor Ace and uh, Milton walking. She, she, she is a lot like Rose in a way. I would say. Yeah. I think um, Russell T. Davis took a lot of inspiration from Ace to create Rose. Yeah, well, I mean, he couldn't take inspiration from any other companion, uh, especially <laughs> a, a female companion. Um, but the Doctor, Ace, and Milton are walking through the church. Uh, Ace spots the vicar sitting by him by himself, uh, and she's like, "Hey, why is he sitting by himself?" And then Milton's like, "Oh, hey, no girls allowed, by the way, boys only." Uh, and so Ace <laughs> has to stay with the vicar as the Doctor and Milton walk off. And this is where we get the scene that you were just talking about with Ace and the vicar having a wee quiet conversation with their with each other, where uh, the vicar's basically saying, like, you know, when he was a kid, everything seemed hopeful and warm, and his dad was the vicar, and the church was this lovely place. And now that he's in charge and his dad is gone everything seems a lot colder and he's responsible for bringing people hope when he himself doesn't feel any hope uh it is it's a good scene uh as as you were saying before yeah it's probably my favorite scene from the whole story it's just i think the actor nicholas parsons does such a great job at the lines and it feels like so much it feels so much like modern who you know where we have a sit down just get to know the side characters a little bit we have a little conversation but brings home the themes of the episode yeah it's just really lovely i just wish that they talked about how good genocide was <laughs> at least at least we're coming to that scene you know we're, yes. we're, we're getting we're getting to that that felt like doctor who to me uh <laughs> but um yeah the doctor is with milton walking through a giant facility 
Uh, do, 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 do. Uh, yeah, sure. We'll talk about the scene first, then we'll go back. The, the Russian soldiers are also there, and one of them's upset about the murder that they just did, and the other Russian guy's like, hey, the murder was needed. And, you know, that's that was that scene. But uh, the doctor and Milton get led into the professor, uh, into his big machine. And uh, this is the first time the doctor's seen the computing machine. Milton shows it off a bit, and he's like, it's the most advanced machine, uh, you know, that ever created. It's a fully automatic computer. And the doctor's like, yeah, that is impressive for the 1940s. Ha <laughs> ha, loser. Uh, but this is where he gets explained that the Russians are coming to steal the machine and that they've been ordered to let them steal the machine because in the back of the machine, they have loaded it with this chemical weapon that they've been producing. Do they ever name the chemical weapon? I don't remember. I can't remember myself. There's so much in this episode to keep in mind. Yeah, there's like yeah. a billion subplots. There, there, Again, it's, it's a overwritten episode, I yeah, would say. Yeah, you know, this whole stuff with the, you know, the, the gas bomb and the Russians stealing it is an episode in itself. What you need to remember yeah. is there's also <laughs> vampire sea ladies and a Viking curse going on. Yeah. Like... <laughs> yes. Whereas, I would say it's a bit over ambitious this story. We'll we'll get to more. Cause there's more. There's more storylines to explore in the next two parts as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's... But yeah, I I really like the idea of uh, the the main villain guy. I would call him a villain because he wants to bomb the Russians, obviously. And it's like the idea of even though we're peaceful now, things are going to go south, mm-hmm. and it's we're going to destroy them before they get the chance to destroy us, which or get the chance to even think about destroying us which is really interesting Uh, what i like with milton is they set him up to be the villain very subtly before he you know reveals the mask and points a gun in the doctor's face or whatever when he when the doctor is in his nazi office and he's like oh you know he's he's putting himself into their shoes you know a, a bit very, uh, too accurately you know yes. it's 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 that there's something off about milton he there he sees something a bit too too like he sees something in the nazis that's uh he focuses on them a bit too much you know he idolizes them maybe too much than he should uh yes the idea of um like well, this idea is explored in doctor quite often you know the idea of if you destroy the daleks you too become like a dalek the, you, the doctor will become like a good Dalek if he destroys the Daleks. And that's basically saying if you yeah. become like the Nazis, you are the Nazis, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Milton then leads the Doctor deeper into the facility where he is walking around just so many bombs. Uh, just just so many bombs from floor to ceiling. And, and all the bombs look like nipples. And a- on ac- set, According to Scott, they do. I didn't personally see it, but, you know. And, and according to everyone on set, they called this the nipple factory. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are a bunch of filthy minds. Uh, yeah, if, I, if, 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 you look, if you look at the bombs straight on, there's more shots you'll see, but they look like nipples. They've got little circular bits to bump, you know? <laughs> I mean, I guess you could, like, but it's, I honestly, I just, I would never make that connect. To me, it just looks like bombs with the thing, like a silvery bit on top. But I, I understand the the connection because it's a, it's a, it's a you know, a oval thing with a cylindrical little nub. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I, I would never have figured out that they were <laughs> nipple bombs. I, I presume when you're in the room, you're just looking at, looking at them straight on, they look more like boobs. Yeah. <laughs> And when you're a gross 1989 man. 
but uh you know that he's getting shown around uh up to this bit by milton who's then like come on i'll show you this exhibit and he brings in a bunch of white doves in a cage and this tiny tiny little vial of the chemical that they're producing uh and he drops it in a bunch of smoke comes up and we get this really nice shot as the camera's pushing through the smoke, you know, that's like turning green or whatever into Milton and the doctor's face as Milton's like explaining, like, imagine dropping bombs of this on cities, you know, into like Moscow or Dresden, you know, the amount of people we'll be able to kill with this thing is this really, really good evil speech that Milton goes into. And also, doves are a symbol of love and peace which makes it even more better and also yeah. john woo the director of mission impossible 2 and all those films he loves using doves he's crying at this scene he's mm -hmm. like oh fuck the doves oh yeah. no yeah uh and speaking of love this is where milton also says that uh you know the the key word for the bombs you know the the thing that's going to make them you know signal to go is the word love uh in in their ciphers which is did you, did you understand that? Did you get yeah. the metaphor there? Yeah. It's, it's... It, 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 it is hammering the metaphor a bit too close. In case you didn't I... understand the speech that the uh, priest was having with Ace. Yeah. Uh, like... but, but, you know, at the same time, this is a family program mm -hmm. trying to get the kids on board with what's going on. Even though the adults are also confused. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. It's it's still, it's fun. It's... it's uh a nice it's, this this side of the story is so dark compared yeah. to the like kind of stupid stupidity that comes in with the vampire girls you know and also it's so it's quite sad you know this these themes are still relevant today obviously and it's like doctor who is just presenting these themes in a decent way it's interesting and the show is going to be cancelled in a month's time which is really sad to think about when it's still quite good i would say yeah uh, scott to be clear there is talking about classic who not modern who is about to be cancelled in a month's time you know oh but... yeah <laughs> it, it feels like uh, modern who is going to be cancelled yeah. soon yeah uh it's not you though know, it's not though thankfully it's been saved definitely not Sa saved by russell the davis uh but yeah no i this is i would say so far more better better put together than the fifth Doctor story we watched uh, with yeah, Resurrection Dick. of the Daleks. Yeah, with Peter Davidson because yes. that that one had good moments, but was full of filler and nonsense, and that was it felt like shackled together, you know. Yeah, Resurrection of the Daleks had a lot of subplots like Kirsten with Frederick does, but or subplots in Resurrection of the Daleks where it's like, oh yeah, we're going to clone the Doctor and then have him assassinate <laughs> the Time Lords. That yeah. never really comes into play, whereas here. <laughs> They're trying to make everything connect to the curse and the vampires. Yeah, to have, like, this overarching theme. Yeah. yeah, and it feels like they all conclude by the end of a story, which is good, you know? We don't leave, we don't have any subplots where there's somebody trying to clone the Doctor for so no reason. Yeah, yeah. And also, uh, no companions get hit by a Dalek plunger. <laughs> yeah, and then spend the entire time lying down. Yeah. Yeah. And then just leave at the end of the episode. <laughs> Never to come back until the centenary special. Hey, look at it. Ties well, in. Actually, she did come back in the following episode, which was the Five Doctors for, you know, the 20th anniversary special, which is a weird way to bring back a companion straight after they just Straight left. after. Yeah. That is weird. It's, it's, like, it's like if Rose just came back in the Runaway Bride. <laughs> So we get some soldiers that are moving some stuff into a room in some bunker place. It's 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 unclear where they are. 
and under a school is where they are <laughs> but that's not part of the story it's, it's where they actually shot it hmm. uh some bricks behind them explode uh and they pay no mind to it they're like yeah whatever uh <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's this weird strange digital green glow yeah yeah <laughs> That, uh, uh, the, the green glow is actually there to hide the stick that's pushing the bricks aside yeah, <laughs> but well, you know yeah fair enough uh, and inside this is some weird white pot thing and the guy's like is this one of our things and the other guy's like does it say it's one of ours and he's like no he's like well get rid of it uh, and the guy just <laughs> tosses it to the side and uh, I thought he was going to break it I thought it was I'm surprised it didn't smash honestly because it's like this delicate like pottery and he just drops on some bricks yeah. <laughs> like uh but they get back to sealing up whatever stuff they're sealing up uh there's then a russian dude who's cleaning his hat or drinking from his hat doing something why would he drink the seawater uh yes uh, he's washing he's washing his face but in the script a man was washing his blood off his hands just ah, shell-shocked okay. by the massacre he was part of yeah. they didn't realize what tv show they were making when they wrote the script or did they uh <laughs> Uh, and as he's washing his helmet, the two girls from before go running back into the ocean. They're like, oh, we've got nothing proper to wear. Who cares? As, as they go diving into the deeps of the sea, uh, the Russian guy runs away, uh, surprised that the girls don't care that he's there, I'm guessing. Um, mm. And the girls are talking about how great the water is. It's so warm. It's lovely. And then this mist starts rolling in. And they're like, oh, a mist is rolling in. And they're like, I don't care. The water's so good. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, they vanish. I'm surprised it took this long for them to be killed uh, and turned yeah, into vampire people. Why didn't it get them the first time they went in? Yeah, because this feels like, the, I think it's the third or fourth time they've been in this water in this story so far. <laughs> yeah, they keep going back. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, why why not just get them the first time? And yeah, because they don't do anything. They get shouted at like twice and then just yeah. go back to the water. <laughs> I would just get rid of the shouting at scenes and make them turn into vampires immediately. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe um, take away those scenes and add a bit more plot to, so we can understand what is actually going on because yeah. now we've got now we've got this magical pot but I, I think I know what it does but I'll have to rewatch the next two episodes it to explodes remember. bricks <laughs> yeah it explodes bricks yeah, yeah that, that's what it does uh, <laughs> uh, Milton is sitting in his office as some uh, soldier guy comes in and he's like oh well they've finished sealing up the thing and he's like, did they find anything strange while they were there? And he's like, oh, they didn't report anything. He's referring to the funny pot that blows up bricks as you see him draw the pot later on. Um, and he's like, okay, very well then. I'm going to need you guys to go. And he says to collect something, first of all, that was, it, it's cut out all the like radio wires or something like that. And also then yeah. burn all the chess sets. And the guy's like, the chess <laughs> sets? And he's like, burn them. Uh, <laughs> which... And now the funny thing is, you don't know anything about what's going on with these chess sets. No, not yet. Like I don't know yet. Yeah, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. The only thing I, I can think is chess is popular in Russia, and he really doesn't <laughs> like that. Yeah, it draws his uh, Russian soldiers. <laughs> yeah. We're like, I can smell some chess sets around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the doctor uh, is with Milton. No, he's not with Milton first. He goes to see the girls uh, with the baby uh, called Audrey, named after um, Ace's mum. Well, not named after her mum, but Ace, for some reason, thinks that. And, <laughs> uh, you know, they're collecting the chess sets and the doctor's like you don't think there's anything weird with that and the guy's like yeah of course there's something weird with it but it's orders isn't it what am i supposed to do uh and then we just get a nice little sit down chat with the doctor 
and this lady about the baby and she's like oh it's going to stay with my friend for a while and i don't understand the purpose of this conversation but i like the doctor can do this bird thing really well is it dubbed in <laughs> is it dubbed in or is it just no, it's, he, it's just sebastian mccoy being uh, sebastian mccoy it's amazing <laughs> it's such a good little whistle he can do like <laughs> Sylvester McCoy is a man of many talents. But yeah, I, I love this scene because it brings up the Doctor's family and he's like, yeah. I don't know where my family is. And um, what's her name again? Phyllis? No, that's not her name. I don't oh, know. Damn, what's her name? The la- I can't remember her name. Yeah, the, the lady. The lady with the call, baby. I was going to call her something else there, but it's a spoiler. Oh. But yeah, um, the lady's like, oh, what about your family? And the Doctor's like, I don't know. It's a war isn't it the lady replies with which is um kind of foreshadowing foreshadowing the time war, the time war. yeah yeah I had which, the same which, thought. which which apparently has happened by this point because Resur- um remembrance Vidalics was in season 25 and that's where russell t davis says the time war actually started oh okay okay uh but yeah but the time war takes place in like this time bubble thing didn't it on gallifrey yeah. Uh, Gallifrey and Scarrow or just Gallifrey? Must be Gallifrey and Scarrow, surely. I think it's Gallifrey and Scarrow. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's like this weird time bubble where you can't get in or out of it. It's like lo- It's timey wimey. It makes no sense, but <laughs> it really <laughs> doesn't. <laughs> uh, but the uh, but yeah, but it's not entirely true because the Doctor knows uh, where at least one of his family members are. Uh, yeah. You know, Susan is on Earth <laughs> in the future where he left her. Uh, at yeah, any ag- point, again, he could go back and get her. <laughs> again, we've we've mentioned how insane it was, but the Doctor just leaves Susan on this. The, the planet was basically destroyed by the Daleks mm-hmm. and they're rebuilding. And he's like, oh yeah, this is a perfect place to leave my granddaughter. This man, he, he, she just met two minutes ago. Yep. Brilliant. Yeah, but she flirted. So, <laughs> you know. <laughs> off the and ship think, and, and that's something that wasn't in the second movie the peter cushion movie because obviously susan was like six <laughs> <laughs> it would have been very weird if he kept that in it would have been great if he still if they got rid of the love interest guy and the doctor still just left her though <laughs> like, i'll come back for you susan but you've got to stay here Susan has got to be in a centenary special or a 65 anniversary. I know they're right? they they have they're running out of time to, yeah, to stick her back in. Because they're bringing back Tegan and Ace. I like Ace. I understand. I like Ace. Tegan's. I'm not really it's too deep, sure about it's, her. It's character. a deep cut that um, yeah. Chibnall just likes because he likes that era, you know. Uh, but you know, Susan, come on. She's like, she's in her 80s. I need to look her up. Late early 90s. Is she only in her age? She looks about 130. Uh, <laughs> uh, she is 81 years old. Oh, wow. She looks a lot older than 81. I thought she was a lot older than that. Uh, but yeah, I get her before it's too late because you have the, the most heartbreaking scene. Yeah. Although, to be fair, as I would bring her back 100% if the show got cancelled. And it was the last episode because you could completely bookend the show where the doc, you know, it's the last episode of Doctor Who and the doctor's like, okay, I'm going back to see Susan. You know, it's the last scene. He's just sitting where there is an old lady. And, you know, uh, uh, basically what we're doing with um, Neighbours and um, uh, Kylie Minogue. (laughs) We're bringing her back for the final episode. I've no idea, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that's what I would do with Susan, but still bring her back because it's such a huge moment to make every Doctor Who fan cry, uh, and F- it's about, amazing th- it's not about, happened. 
thing about Doctor Who is it's never going to be cancelled, so we can't bookend it like that. You know, even if it does yeah. get cancelled, it's going to come back in like ten years anyway. Yeah, yeah. but still, conclude her story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, they have they have brought Susan back in the audio dramas. Uh, the Eighth Doctor goes back to visit her again, and she becomes involved in a time war. It's not the same, is it? It's not the same. No. <laughs> uh, I forget where we were in this episode. What happened? Okay, so the Doctor is chatting with the lady. Then he goes off to go see the Professor and his big machine. Uh, and the Professor uses his machine to translate this inscription thing. And it says something about the Curse of Fenric. It's like, the Curse of Fenric is here. Ha ha ha. Uh, uh, let the chains of Fenric shatter. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the, the Professor is like so ecstatic that it's translating what these things means and the doctor's like well it translates it into english it doesn't tell you what it means you know which i think was just a nice little a little bit of wordplay there um and then we cut back to some very spooky looking girls in the war oh boy yes um (laughs) they certainly need renail's cut that's for sure (laughs) So, the spooky vampire girls are in the water, and they're luring the Russian soldier who's come back for some reason. Why did he come back? Because he's drawn to the woman. They... But he was like, he ran away from the beach. Why wouldn't he just go it... back to his men? Why Why would he come back to the water? I don't know. Yeah, but he's back Cause... at the water. Because uh... the ladies are attractive and wet. What else are you going to do? <laughs> I don't know, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, and they start luring him in with like a siren call, essentially, you know, they're like hypnotizing him like, oh, the water's so warm and lovely. Nobody's going to grab you and kill you. Uh, and, you know, he gets hypnotized, comes into the water. Lo and behold, a bunch of zombie people. They look they look like water zombies, essentially. Uh, yes, um, they're actually vampires, water vampires, but we'll get mm-hmm. to them more in the abs- later on in the episode. Yeah, uh, and they all uh, grab him and pull him into the ocean uh and he is dead and it is a cry and shame although i couldn't tell you which one he was (laughs) yeah there's one problem with this episode there's too many characters too many russian soldiers i don't know any of them apart from apart from the main ones yeah ace's boyfriend um but yeah um the the lady's fingernails Mm -hmm. ridiculous i really hate this it's like one finger doesn't it's like the most it's the most memorable thing I have from this episode from when I watched it for the first time in, like, 2007. Just the nails are just so dumb. They're, like, it's, I think it's, like, a fun monster design, you know? It's, like, a, a vampire's long nails. Sure, why not, you know? It gets worse when there's more people with long nails, in my <laughs> opinion. Uh, but, yeah, this scene almost had to be reshot when a member of the public started pestering the crew by singing Doctor in the TARDIS, which had been released the year before, but it turned out they were able to remove his singing in post-production. So, yeah, uh, do you know that song, Doctor in the TARDIS? Is it anything like Doctor in Distress? <laughs> I wish. Uh, but, yeah, um, it's basically the Gary Glitter song, Oh, uh, wow. Rock and Roll. You know the one I was played in Joker? It's that song, but with the lyrics, Doctor Who, hey. I forgot I forgot that Joker played a Gary Glitter song. Uh, uh, yeah, that's the one thing from Joker, but really took me out of Joker. I'm like, <laughs> am, am I fucking listening to Gary Glitter in the cinema right now? Uh, yeah. Good film, though. Uh... <laughs> Surely the person who chose that song knew about Gary Glitter, right? 
maybe maybe they thought that you know it's era appropriate for the year it's set you know gary glitter would have been playing <laughs> music he would have been at the top of whatever you know thing and the joker's this deprived guy you know so maybe he's attracted to degenerates like gary glitter uh oh god yeah yeah gary glitter and doctor who that's what we're talking about now yeah uh but <laughs> the uh we then cut to the doctor ace and the professor sitting in his room the doctor's like oh i have to go by the way Ooh. and he leaves the room very quick leaving just ace and the professor in the room and uh, the professor starts shouting at the doctor, you know, being like, yeah, shut up, shut up, shut up, stop making noise, because she's playing with the uh, logic toy. At, at Ace, we yeah. call her a doctor. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, well, same difference. <laughs> uh, and the uh, Ace is like, yeah, no, it's it's uh, like, I figured out what this inscription thing is, and, uh, you know, what it means. And the professor's like, yeah, I already know what it means. It's the, the Fenric thing that we've said earlier on. And she's like, no, 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 it's a logic puzzle. You know, it's for a really complex computer. Look at it. It's it's this really com- complicated thing. And the professor just immediately believes her. And he's like, oh, my God, you're right. Take me to back to my computer machine, uh, Crane. You're standing in the corner facing the wall, I guess, because you're not doing anything in the scene. Uh, and he, wheels him, he gets wheeled out of the room. And then Ace makes a comment, like, you know, wherever she's from in London, 200 million points or something rest of the universe nil which i just didn't get i was like i uh, yeah i don't really get it myself but also um i think the idea of ace solving the puzzle is such a great moment because it reminds me of tomb of the cybermen where um patrick troughton's doctor figures out a math puzzle and accidentally reveals it because you know where uh, yes, yes 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 yes, yes. Of, every, everybody in tomb of the cybermen is trying to figure out these logic puzzles trying to get through to the next room of the tombs and yeah, it's such a great moment because it shows that Ace is actually really smart. You know, she failed chemistry exams and did poorly in school, but she's really smart at the same time, yeah. which is really learns, interesting. Learns character. from hands-on experience traveling with the doctor yeah. rather than through textbooks, you know? Yeah. And you know, um, if the show was going to go on, we apparently were going to make Ace like a future Time Lord. Like that's what the doctor is prepping her for, which is... Would have been very interesting. I think I'm human not sure time if they, lord. Yeah. Uh, you know, if human time lords are a thing, but you know, um, I'm not sure if uh, Big Finish or if the novels ever got a hold of this storyline. But I doubt be interesting. it. I, I'm not familiar. I, I've not heard anything about it. You know, uh, but to be fair, I've not heard anything about human time lords either. Uh, well, technically, uh, River Song is a human time lord. I'm not really sure. Well, uh, she ten- has regeneration powers, but. She doesn't have them. She only had like small ones, because you know the time lords aren't actually a species. They're you know, <laughs> the are a species. Yeah, yeah. Time lords are a rank in their caste society that they live in. Yeah. Um. But I, I think I was listening to uh Nerd Cubed describe River Song, and he was like, you know, River Song is this beautiful story where she's, you know, this daughter of amy and rory and she you know gets taken away from them and gets given time lord regeneration of powers forget about that part and then she, <laughs> you know she goes because that part one doesn't make sense in canon anymore and uh although does it make more sense with the timeless child because yeah you're right yeah definitely. but it's it's like 10 it's like matt smith's regeneration doesn't make sense anymore because mm. he only regenerates because the time lords came back and gave him a whole new set of 13 regenerations uh 
Whereas Doctor Who, Doctor Who canon just breaks my brain at this point. <laughs> you know, yeah. There's, there's there's so much in the canon right now. And there's a, like we're not even talking about books because books introduced a new canon where apparently people are uh, time lords like woven or something. There's a whole there's a whole book called Lungbarrow which explains the time lord origins, which isn't canon anymore or never was to begin with. But yeah, it'll be a fun one to cover someday. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but back to the episode. The We then cut to the old lady who uh, has just been annoying and has had very pointless scenes uh, as she's, like, doing something and then the two girls come back in and are, like, a jump-scare vampire. And they very slowly mm-hmm. corner this lady and then extremely slowly arch over her oh we're going to kill you and the camera yeah. and the shots linger just that one moment too long where you're like "Ooh, yeah. this is awkward like <laughs> yeah they, they basically arch over for like three seconds when it could have just been one second you know yeah uh and then the doctor and ace are suddenly together and they're outside the house uh have i have i missed a scene it's it's yeah, I don't, I don't think there's anything in the extended cut that really explains how the Doctor and Ace got back together. And how they know start. to go to this house. <laughs> like, it's, it know. seems like a sudden jump in time that we've missed out some stuff, but yeah. But we do but we, we do see John Nathan Turner's dog in the background called Pepsi. Is that Pepsi. who it is? Is that who it is? <laughs> yes. uh, yeah, just very briefly, at the corner of the, of the frame, you see a, a wee golden retriever running about <laughs> having a good time. And uh, yeah, it's a little bit distracting. I didn't notice it my first time, but I did this time. Why is that dog not on a lead? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I feel sorry for it because it's going to get eaten by a vampire soon. <laughs> Very slowly as well. Uh, <laughs> but the uh, the doctor and Ace go into the house. Uh, they start like looking around it. There's a record player on loop, Doctor Who movie joke here. Uh, and they, uh, you know, they find the dead body of the lady and she's, the doctor's like, oh, all her blood's gone. It's like that Russian soldier we saw earlier. Hmm, must be vampires, uh, you know. The nurse did it because she's a vampire in Smith and Jones. She sucks the doctor's blood for a girl. It's all connected. <laughs> Smith and Jones is a pseudo sequel to uh, The Curse of Fenric. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, the episode continues with uh, the vampires approaching the priest who's standing out in, I think it must be the graveyard or something, yeah. uh, where the, the vampire girls approach him and the, the you know he's like i know you guys are vampires but you get you shouldn't exist uh, stay away from me this this bible is going to kill you and there's this really great uh, conversation with the vampires but they're like you know the, the the book of the bible doesn't isn't what kills us it's human belief in it that kills us and you have no belief uh because of the bombs and you know not german bombs but british bombs dropped on german children that's this really great like scene where you're understanding the you know all the things about this vicar are coming into once and i really like that explanation of vampire lore you know i thought yeah. that that was a clever we tool to use uh it doesn't explain why they're standing in sunlight but i guess these vampires can stay in sunlight uh no matter what yeah yeah they are what they are you know yeah these are like Not ocean every... vampires i guess you know uh, yeah. uh these are actually underwater vampires based on um alan moore's creatures and um swamp thing alan moore of course is a comic book writer from mm-hmm. watchmen he's also a part-time wizard he is yep yep uh <laughs> thankfully not a part-time wizard in the ku klux klan though um, thank god <laughs> <laughs> uh 
but then suddenly the doctor and Ace show up again. How do they know where the professors, the, the, the vicar's in danger? How do they know where he is? How do they know where the vampires are? They've got like this sudden teleportation beacon where they're yeah. they're just jumping around the uh, the the area. And the doctor just kind of shouts at the vampires. He's like, no, no, you will not hurt him. And the vampires go, fine, we won't hurt him, but we'll hurt him later on. And they just kind of walk. Why don't the vampires kill everybody? Why did they bother listening to the doctor right now? Why didn't they just attack the vicar after they said their thing? You know, I don't get it. Pa- I don't understand. Part of it is that we can't really... I, I don't know. It's, it gets confusing in a way. Because it makes it, no it, sense. Because <laughs> I like... I, I presume it's because the doctor and Ace have faith in something... Because like, that's the whole theme of the episode. Everybody has faith, and we can't be attacked if we have faith. I guess. I'm not sure if I, I'm not sure if that applies to the vampire girls, because they're a different vampire than the underwater vampires. Because there's two breeds of vampires here. It's very confusing. Yeah, it it doesn't make sense. Yeah, so we go back to the uh, professor and uh, the big computer room where they're working on the machine. And Milton's like, "Come on, let's get this machine going." You know, start. Uh, I think they're working out the logic puzzle that Ace yeah. uh, told them about, uh, which is sending start sending the machine, you know, haywire. Um, then we cut to the woods, and the Doctor, the Vicar, and Ace are walking through the woods in what you described as a student film. Yeah, because because uh, um, obviously the cameraman is like walking backwards. The camera is very shaky because there's no stabilizer on the camera or anything. It feel yeah, it just feels like a student film. The great color grading isn't great either. Feels like they didn't plan out the shot and they went, oh, "We've just got to get this. We'll do it in a one You know, we'll make it a tracking shot. Go." Uh, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah that, that, that's entirely possible because you know this thing was shot in 19 days. Yeah, there's is... there is one good shot in the woods, which is when it stops moving and the. Uh, uh, Sylvester McCoy's on one side, the Vicar's on the other, and uh, Ace is in the middle in the background. That's a nice little bit, of, a little shot there. But yeah, Ace in the background is like, oh, you should have told me. I just gave him yeah. the answer. Yeah, yeah, because such a uh, great moment. The the doctor says that as long as the professor doesn't figure out that the thing is a computer code, like an inscription, then he's going to be safe from harm. And Ace is like, oh, well, um, <laughs> <laughs> something you should know. Uh, Again, I, I just love the idea of a companion not being quite ahead of the curve in terms of what the Doctor is yeah, planning. Yeah, like they figured, they figured out the puzzle, but they didn't. Yeah. <laughs> they don't know, you know, the everything yet. Yeah, they just, they're smart enough to be helpful in terms of helping Dr. Judson, but they don't know they're not being helpful yeah, in terms don't of know raising the, da- the they dead. Don't, they don't know the danger of the information they have. Yes. Yes, yeah. They just know they have information. Uh, then we're suddenly watching The Sea Devils. Yep. <laughs> as we're watching the vampire zombie people come up from the ocean. It's not a bad looking costume, but it is the exact same shot from the Sea Devils. Yeah, so uh, these actors had to submerge themselves underwater. They couldn't hear the director shout action, which sounds familiar from the Sea Devils. Mm-hmm. And they had to be weighed down by rocks and water filled their masks. Which, again, just what happened on the Sea Devils. You can't really have actors be underwater like that. Oh, you can. <laughs> they did it twice <laughs> uh, but yeah we, we didn't want to use the name vampires for these creatures so we come up with the name hermivores instead which literally mean blood eaters which oh. is quite grim that's cool that's a cool cool wee name uh, as that's happening the doctor and ace run into the machine room where it's running at quote four times maximum speed uh, <laughs> which is a lovely bit of thing that doesn't make sense uh as the machine's going absolutely haywire 
you know, whatever information is, is this thing is going to do is going to cause a lot of harm. The doctor's like, we've got to turn it off, got to turn it off, Ace, turn it off. She's like, I can't get to the power switch. Everybody starts pulling on it, and Milton's like, it's it's done, Doctor. There's no stopping what's about to happen. And then cue music, cut to the credits. The Doctor's about to die again. Yeah, the thing about this cliffhanger is um, the cliffhangers in the late 80s dumped the idea of setting up the villain and instead wanted to focus on the Doctor's reaction. So if this was a 1970s episode, we would have focused on the cliffhanger being the herbivores rising up from the water, but instead it's like, oh no, the cliffhanger is the Doctor is worried because it's too late to stop this thing from happening, mm-hmm. which in my opinion is a better cliffhanger. Yeah, yeah, uh, mainly because the thing, I have no... Uh, I have no care about the uh, vampires at all. I'm not interested yeah, in their storyline. Like, yeah, because because herbivores rising up from the water is like okay, that's going to be a danger later on. Because we're not we're just right in the middle of nowhere. There's nobody around really. We're going to mm-hmm. attack somebody in like five minutes, but it's not an immediate danger. Whereas it uh, it being too late to stop anything from happening is a great mm. one because it's like oh my god what's the doctor going to do now yeah 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 this is a it's an interesting story because there is there is just so much going on uh, yeah, uh i'll use this analogy there's a lot of moving chess pieces got burn it <laughs> burn this episode uh, <laughs> Uh, but that is the end of episode two, which brings us to the end of this episode of the podcast, Scott. So what did you think about the story so far with parts one and two? So this story in general isn't my favorite story ever of Doctor Who, but, you know, I think it's a great example of Doctor Who, you know, near the end of its run. Like this show is off the air in four weeks time and we're still trying our best in terms of writing. We're still doing some deep themes or trying we're actually trying to give the companion character work and we'll see more character work within the next two parts it's a pretty decent setup for the next two uh, the next story i think yeah i uh, i have to say i enjoyed this story these two episodes much more my second time watching it the first time it didn't really grip me second time uh, able to focus a lot more on the better performances in the somewhat muddy story that it's setting up you know i think the yeah. vicar gives a good performance i really like milton as a villain i think he's giving a really strong performance and sylvester mccoy and uh, sophie aldred are excellent together uh very much enjoying their chemistry uh you know as my first experience with the seventh doctor besides of course the doctor who movie where you know he drinks some tea and gets shot i i i'm very much enjoying it i i think he's a very good doctor uh, you know yeah. yet to see a doctor that doesn't impress me pretty early on you know uh i i think really only like even jody's doctor i liked her early on she didn't super impress me and she's never had her you know quote-unquote doctor moment but uh i i, I don't think we've had a bad incarnation yet you know, we yeah, still that's... haven't covered the sixth, sixth, and the first Doctor. Uh, yeah, we and, haven't done that yet. And six is supposed to be the worst Doctor, but uh, we'll see it, if that no. holds up. The clips I've seen from him, he is pretty excellent. So, <laughs> you know, I, the thing is about choosing the worst Doctor. I think there is no bad performance, so it's impossible mm-hmm. to choose the worst Doctor. And I think it's my favorite Doctor is the third Doctor, but I think it's hard to pinpoint my second favorite Doctor because it's like Sylvester McCoy is so excellent. I have David a hard. Tennant is so I good. have a hard job choosing my first favorite Doctor, you know, yeah. because I love. Uh, 
I, I love Matt Smith. I love Capaldi. I love... Uh, oh my god, what's his name? I clearly don't love him that much. Movie Doctor. Paul McGann. That's it, yeah. I love Paul <laughs> McGann. Uh, you know, the, those are the three names. I love David Tennant, obviously. Uh, I've not had too much exposure for the classic Doctors. I've seen a few of their stories. I've seen a lot of the first Doctor. Uh, yeah. And the more I see him, the less I actually like his performance. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah. <laughs> um yeah uh it's it's i have a hard time choosing my favorite doctor but that's just because i'm indecisive i think uh, yeah but in terms of curse of fenric you know it, it's trying mature storylines it's dark for doctor who it's very dark like, yeah doctor who is often a dark show but you know this is thematically dark about losing faith in times of war which is really depressing subject matter and i think the storyline is trying really interesting things with it mm-hmm. yeah i i think it's 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 good and i'm interested to see where obviously you've seen episodes three and four i have not seen episodes three and four yet i will by next week and i can't wait to be disappointed by this story uh i can't wait for it to go off the rails and do something completely ridiculous and for it to get really bad i'm i'm on board ready for that to happen well Obviously, I know where it's going to end up, and I'm not sure if you're going to like some parts of it. It kind of does get ridiculous, kind of not, but we'll we'll get to that next week, obviously. Excellent. But in the <laughs> meantime, you can send us an email on your thoughts on uh, The Curse of Fenric, if you've ever seen this, or your thoughts on anything Doctor Who related by sending us an email at whowatcheswhopod at gmail.com. Uh, we read all our emails out at the end of the month in our monthly news episode. Uh, so and, and and also Matthew sends you a picture of himself. I do also send you a picture of my face, uh, not of myself. Don't get too excited. Uh, <laughs> at whowatcheswhopod at gmail.com. That is our email address. Please send us an email. We're lovely. Um... In the meantime, mm. you can follow us on Facebook at Who Watches Who, on Twitter at Watches Doctor. Uh, this podcast is on YouTube on Who Watches Who and is available in audio form wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Cloth223. And anything else here, Scott, what we've got coming up? We'll be back next week for the last two parts of the story. And then the week after, we're doing Doctor Who and the Daleks with Peter Cushion. So that's something to look forward to. Yeah, lots of stuff on, on, the, on, the, on the go. With Peter Cushion, we're finally out of the fucking water, my dude. Oh my god. <laughs> it's, it's, it has been a long sail uh, through these water-themed episodes. We've done so many of them. Uh, but yes, we will see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye.